Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the Utah Jazz are back on track. They pick up a W. They beat Oklahoma City. Slow start, bad first quarter. Uh, They own the second and third, and by the end of the third quarter, it was over. That was the story of that game, Oklahoma City. Lou Dort was very impressive. He had 42 points, and he took charges and forced turnovers and all that, but they, they don't have anybody to go with him. And the Jazz rested Ingles, and re- uh, Clarkson still got the ankle, so he's out, and they rested Royce O'Neal. And those guys all get three days off now before they go into another back-to-back. So they got the win, they rested the guys, and... Uh, you know, guys down the bench like Jarrell Brantley got to play, and you'll hear from him come out from the post game. He was super pumped. He was so excited. All right, we're going to start with a little football this morning. The Utes met with the media yesterday. We didn't have a chance to play Nick Ford for you. Utes center, uh, I think he's played four of the five positions on the offensive line. He's going to be a leader for this team. So I think his listen for his attitude more than the O-line talk. Uh, he had a chance to go pro, and I asked him about that at the end of the interview. Um, thought about it, considered it, but ultimately decided to come back for one more year. And uh, he's going to be a leader on this team. There's, he has been already. He's going to have an even bigger role uh, this year. All right, here is the Utes center, Nick Ford. Morning, Nick. Um have you thought about what you're going to be cooking for dinner after the red and white game? Ooh, I actually have. I'm not even going to lie. Um, I got some burgers, some brats, some steak, some other things, mac and cheese. Invited some of the boys over, you know, just have a good time around each other, build, a, build some camaraderie. But, yeah, I'm, I'm already on top of that one. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and just in regards to the red and white game, um, What's your mentality as you as you approach the game as a you know as a player as a leader uh, within the offensive line group? Uh, my main mentality is just to keep my group going. You know, um, there's a lot of talent in the group, um, and it's definitely going to show. It's been showing. Um, we're here to play the entire time and the entire time physically, whether that's running the ball physically, which we all know we could do, and pass protection, which has gotten a lot better and taking pride in that and being physical and pass protection and just making sure that the entire uh, offensive line is hyped and the entire offensive line, um, you know, hypes the entire team because as we go, the entire team goes. So it'll, it'll be a fun one. Next question will come from Josh Furlong with KSL.com. Yeah, Nick, over the last little while, we've talked a lot about your leadership abilities and, and kind of what you've been able to do for the team. You know, as you head into summer break or the offseason, whatever you want to call it, coming up next week, you know, how, how what, what does your role look like? How do you help these players? You know, especially now that coaches won't have a lot of, of ability to be able to communicate with you guys. What is your role in, in being able to, to kind of help with this team? Um, you know, same, same as always, um, I'm gonna go home and, uh, decompress for a little bit because, you know, that's, that's important, you know, just as long as the same as weightlifting, eating, sleeping, you know, you gotta have the time to rest for your body. So I'm going to go home probably from the 29th until the 9th and relax. But this whole time I'm home, I'm be around my phone and everything. And I'm purposely coming back early. So anyone who's up here, who wants to watch film, who wants to work out, who wants to do field work, um, you know, I'm just available for, um, I'm not going to have school. I'm not going to have anything to do. So, you know, it'll, it'll be a good time to get closer to whoever wants to, you know, get some extra work and make them a little dinner too. Next question will come from Bill Riley of ESPN 700. Hey, Nick, how are you? Good. How are you? 
I'm doing great. Uh, we were talking to Coach Harding and Coach Witt about this a little bit, but I'd be curious. You've played all over on the offensive line. When they came to you and said, we want to make you our center, was there any hesitancy? What went through your mind? And, and how's that adjustment from last year to now been for you? Um, no, there hasn't been any hesitancy in there. Um, I mean, I first came here a long time ago, and my biggest thing was being able to be flexible. And one day at practice, Coach Harding asked me if I could snap. And I told him, yeah, even though I didn't really know how to. <laughs> and I just went over there and I was like, okay, just throw the ball backwards. And then, you know, I wound up being good because um, the more you do it, the more consistently, you know, just the better you get. Um, so when they needed that change, I mean, I had a flash of center back in, I think like 18, when uh, Lofalamaka went down at Washington State. Um, and, it, you know, it's just, it's just another day. Um, it's been fun. Um, especially over the past couple of months, being able to uh, work at that position. Um, I feel like it, it's a good fit for me because I'm a bigger, stronger guy, yet I can move. So it allows me to move with space and it also allows me to use my power. So I feel like it's a good combination of my play. Next question will come from Sammy Morrow at the Utah Daily Chronicle. Morning, Nick. I was just wondering how you feel about the freshman class. How have they been looking through spring ball? And have you seen a jump from their play from last year to spring ball now? Oh, most definitely. I mean, there's a lot of freshmen who played last year who are already making a name for themselves, obviously. And there's a lot of freshmen this year who's, who uh, and, and camp has been really pushing for spots. So, I mean, Everyone on this team is competing really well. Um, like Coach Wood says, we don't, um, you know, we don't restock, we reload. So all the all the freshmen right now, and all the young guys, and all the transfers, and everyone who's who's new to the program right now, they're making some big jumps and making the competition very very tough for the coaches. Final two questions for Nick will come from Josh Furlong, and then twelve eighty the zone. Yeah, Nick, obviously as a center, you, you, you develop a, a relationship with that quarterback really well. You know, what, you know, you get Charlie Brewer coming in. You obviously had Cam Rising, who won the starting job last year. But what is it about, you know, um, uh, Charlie that, that basically show like, there's a lot of people that have talked about how his, he's so talented, he's able to do different things, and he's really experienced. What, what is it about him that you've seen and, and just kind of your interactions with him and seeing how he plays? Um, being a center, you know, I've been working with all the quarterbacks. Um, from JJ to Charlie and everybody. So, I mean, they all have their little, you know, nicks and what they're good at. But I say if I'm specifically talking about Charlie, um, he's just – I feel like he's very relaxed back there. Like, even though it may look hectic in, in, uh, in the trenches and the secondary and everything, like, he knows how to move around. He knows where to go. And um, whatever whatever he does, he does it with confidence. He doesn't hesitate. So, I think that's – probably the best quality of him. Final question, I'll go to 1280 to zone. Nick, can you go into why you almost went pro and why you decided to come back? Uh, yeah, sure. So basically, um, I had a good season last year. Was named Pac-12 first team, all that stuff, good stuff. Um, you know, the whole agency spiel, everyone trying to talk to you, everyone telling you this, that, and other. Um, Got my recruit, not my recruitment, uh, my grade thing back, said I was third, maybe fourth round with a chance to improve my stock by the combine to maybe a second or third. So, I mean, I'm sitting there like, yeah, that's pretty, it's a pretty good deal. I'm, 
getting a little a little stipend right now and going to school with stress or I can, you know, go go play some real football and make money. Um, but, you know, just thinking about it overall, um, the main thing that every agent said, as well as every coach, they said, yeah, I could leave now. But if I come back, I could leave even better, which was a big uh, factor in my decision, as well as um, what else? That was a big factor in my decision, as well as just knowing how much talent was returning this year and the capability of this team not to only win a Rose Bowl and Pac-12, but this team reminds me of 2018-19 when, you know, we had everybody and we're able to make that run. I really think we can make that run again. So I just want to go out with another ring and you know, talking to the coaches and everything. You know, they said they'd be smart and make sure that I was safe. And, you know, it, it was it – was, uh, it's a whole lot of attributes that um, made everything click. And I just want to make that choice. And when I made that choice, I, I sat down, I was thinking in my head, I was like, okay, I got, I got two days to regret whatever choice I'm going to make. If I go to the NFL, I could regret not coming back, but I can only do it for two days because then it's just going to affect how I perform and all that. And also there's no combine. So that was, that was a big thing. And then the same thing is if I were to come back, I only have two days to regret not going to the NFL, not making that money, not being um, comfortable and all that stuff. And, you know, and I feel like I've really done that. Um, I don't even think I had those two days to regret. I made that decision. I knew it was right. Drove back here from California and it's been a, it's been a grind and it's been a good one too. All right, there's Nick Ford, Utah offensive lineman, the center on this year's team. And coming up next, the head coach, Kyle Whittingham, then the best of the postgame show. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. The youths are getting right down to it. The spring game is Saturday. That'll be on the Pac-12 Network. They're going to welcome in a few thousand fans. Kyle talking about that and a few other topics as spring football rounds rounds uh, rounds out here. Here's Kyle. Okay, heading into our last week of spring ball. Uh, it's been a good, uh, productive uh, spring session so far. We've got uh, fairly physical padded practice today. Uh, no padded practice on Thursday, and then we culminate with the uh, spring game on Saturday. Looking forward to getting back in the stadium with uh, at least some fans. I think we're capped at 6,500 or 7,000 right there, right uh, in that neighborhood. So uh, it'll be uh, good to get in front of fans again. Like I said, I haven't been in front of fans since, uh, what, the season of 19. So uh, it's been, uh, like I said, a lot, a lot of good things have transpired uh, this spring, a lot of players uh, have gotten uh, much better, which is the objective. I mean, you hope you would hope that would happen, and, and it did. Uh, we have identified some some uh, strengths of the team and things that uh, need to continue to be uh, addressed. So that's where we're at, and uh, we're going to make the most of these last three. And uh, the spring game, hopefully, everyone gets a, a good flavor of uh, what we're all about when you when you're able to watch the spring game on Saturday. Questions. First question will come from Trevor Allen, KSLSports.com, followed by Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. 
Good morning, Kyle. How are you? Good. Thank you. Good morning. Um, have, have you already gone through guys that, that you're going to hold out during the, the spring game? Yes, uh, preliminarily. We still haven't finalized that. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens in practice today and Thursday. Thing, you know, somebody tweaks an ankle or something that could change uh, what our thought process is. But, but uh, yeah, we've already got a start on that. And, uh, you know, we don't have anything to announce today because, uh, like I said, it's not finalized. And, and that will be finalized uh, by Thursday and, and we'll proceed from there. And then to follow up on that, have, uh, you, you've already said Bernard's the the number one running back. Has Chris Curry or T.J. Pledger made any progress towards getting that that number one spot, or maybe even made a, a push for that number two spot? They they have definitely closed the gap. Uh, Makai has continued to to perform exceptionally well this spring, though, and so he's he's uh, still the number one tailback. But both Chris and T.J. have have shown a lot of uh, progress. And really, uh, what they needed to do was feel comfortable with their assignments and, and uh, their uh, role in the offense, and, and they're starting to do that now and, and really settle in, and they're going to be contributors as well. So uh, we'll see what happens uh, through fall camp, uh, whether or not we're going to have uh, one tailback at the majority of the reps or, or by committee. We'll see what happens. And that, that uh, you know, it's a good problem to have right now. We've got uh, those three guys that we think are all very capable. Next up, Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Kyle. Good morning. Good morning, Josh. Uh, kind of a bigger picture question. Uh, it sounds like the dead period is finally going to end on June 1st. Uh, assuming that does happen, do you have any inclination of what the calendar or what the rules might look like as you jump back in on June 1st? What we're anticipating is, uh, just as you mentioned, June 1st, things opening back up. We don't anticipate that being a contact period, more of a uh, – evaluation period where or not evaluation but uh, a period a quiet period where we can have uh, athletes visit our campus uh, either officially or unofficially but we don't anticipate being able to go out and visit other campuses and, and do any off-campus recruiting um, we I think the the meetings well I know the meetings are tomorrow and Thursday uh, and that's supposed to be addressed you don't always get all the answers you want uh, in these meetings sometimes they delay those answers but uh, we're anticipating to know a lot more uh, after the meetings uh, culminate on Thursday. And uh, my, the, the best guess is, like I said, on June 1, we'll go to that period where we can have players back on campus for visits. And uh, there'll probably be another dead period uh, kick in in July sometime. And then hopefully, you know, the, the evaluation period will begin uh, in September again where we can go out and uh, watch high school games and that type of thing. But but uh, to be determined, but uh, that's my best guess as, as to how it's going to uh, unfold. Just to follow that up, obviously things have been um, unorthodox for a year. Kids haven't been on campus. You guys have been doing Zoom calls and, and things of that nature. Is there any element of what you've done for the last year that you would be happy to maybe carry into normal times? Absolutely. And that uh, would start with being able to talk to uh, juniors on the telephone. Uh, whereas before you only had a one call uh, limitation during the spring ball or the spring recruiting window. Uh, we've been able to have several zoom calls and contacts with, uh, with the uh, class of 22 players. And uh, that's something that I hope the NC2A lets us hang on to, because I think it's been a good thing. And particularly with the, uh, with the early signing date, it lets you get to know these players better and develop a relationship with them. And so hopefully that uh, is here to stay, but, 
But, uh, of course, you know, it's up to them. We'll find out uh, next few days, hopefully. Next, we'll go to Bill Riley, ESPN 700, followed by Josh Furlong, KSL.com. Morning, Kyle. Morning. So um, we know who your top three wide receivers are, at least from a production standpoint throughout their career. Over this month that you've had practice, has a number four or number five or a hierarchy behind Enos, Covey, and, and Dixon evolved? Yeah, uh, Devon Bailey would be uh, in the number four slot right now. Uh, Money Parks has done some good things, battling for that number five spot. Uh, we've had some other uh, receivers. Kane Savage, uh, who we moved from corner, has, has showed some promise. But uh, right now, there's uh, you know those four are, are clearly at the top, uh, the three you mentioned, plus Devon Bailey. And uh, like I've said uh, for a while now, we plan on adding uh, at least one more receiver via the portal. And uh, that will happen, uh, you know, in the next uh, couple months, ideally. And so the, that player can be on campus here for the, for the June workouts. And so uh, it's a work in progress, that position group. But uh, they've done a nice job this spring and they've developed. But uh, we still think that we need to uh, add, uh, like I said, a receiver or two to that group uh, when all is said and done. Next up, Josh Furlong, KSL.com. Yeah, Kyle, you kind of touched on this, talking about the receivers, obviously, in the offseason. But after this week, what is the primary objective for your team? Like, what are, you, what are you hoping them to kind of accomplish in the summer? Slash, what are you hoping to accomplish as a coaching staff? Okay, well, first of all, they have a lot of downtime. The NCAA mandates uh, what they call discretionary weeks, where you have to have no football activities, no organized football activities for them. And so we expect once we're done with spring ball, uh, we'll have exit interviews next week. And then they're really on their own, so to speak, until uh, June 1 when this uh, summer player development starts, uh, Tuesday, June 1. So what we expect between when spring ball is finished in that period is for them to work out on their own and stay in shape and not, not uh, you know, get uh, out of shape. So we got to get them back in shape when they get back. We need to be able to hit the ground running on June 1st with, with a team that's uh, taking care of themselves and ready to, ready to uh, train and, and get after it. And that period is a nine-week period, uh, the summer development. You have uh, nine weeks to work out eight weeks. You have to give them one week off in that, in that time frame uh, for NC2A rules. And then we'll roll right into fall camp. And uh, then we, you know, that's the, the uh, prelude into the season. So that's, that maps out the next, what, uh, three or four months and, and until fall camp starts in August. Following up on that real quick, but how, you know, in your, your, your coaching um, tenure, you know, how, how often do guys go into the summer break and you see a noticeable difference when you come into fall? Is it, is it pretty common or is that something that it really takes a different type of player or, or, or is there much of a difference when you enter into fall? It's very, very common to see some big, see big changes physically, uh, particularly in the younger players that, that haven't developed like some of your older guys. It's not necessarily, uh, you know, a fourth year guy that's becoming a fifth year guy. Uh, doesn't have as much room to develop as, as some of those you know, young freshmen that are in your program. And so we expect to see a lot of progress, particularly from the younger guys and adding weight and strength and, and uh, getting faster. And, and uh, that's part of the process. I mean, you got to continually uh, trying to get better and, and uh, trying to uh, get your body ready for a, for a uh, division one football season. We'll go back to Trevor Allen. Where's your depth at cornerback now that uh, you have uh, 
Kane Savage over at, at corner or over at, at wideout? Where, where do you, how, how do you feel about the depth at corner? We feel good about it. We've got uh, Clark Phillips and JT Broughton, who are uh, starters on the outside right now. Malone Mata-LA is the nickel, scheduled to be the nickel. You know, unless somebody uh, beats those guys out, that's how we're going to the fall. Uh, Fabian Marks is doing a nice job on the outside. He'd probably be the first guy in at this point in time. Uh, we've also got Lacarie Pleasant Johnson, who has really had a good spring and starting to come of age. Uh, Kenzel Lawler on the outside as well. Um, Aaron Lowe backs up Malone Mattaelli at the nickel spot. And then Zamaya Vaughn, who we moved from safety to corner, has uh, transitioned very well with that position. And uh, so, so we feel like we're going to be in, in pretty good shape. And uh, we'll add another player or two this summer. And uh, that, that group will be uh, – I think we have scheduled to have 10 scholarship uh, corners in the program by fall. There's Utah football coach Kyle Whittingham. When we come back, the best of the postgame show as the Jazz pick up another win. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. Barry Trammell from the Oklahoma came on the air yesterday and said the Jazz are going to win. Perfect for what ails the Jazz. They're going to get a W because Oklahoma City's bringing a, a water gun to this fight. And uh, a water gun and Lou Dort. Uh, you got to give it up to Lou Dort. Uh, he came out early and really took it to the Jazz. They did not match his energy. And he was awesome in that first quarter. He finished with 42 points. But the Jazz took over in the two middle quarters, and the fourth quarter was pretty much garbage time. Let's get to the best of the postgame show. Your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jazz beat the Thunder 106-96, to got off to a bit of a slow start, uh, but overcame a 17-point deficit, had a big third quarter, and the Jazz end up winning by 10. They were led by Bogdanovich, who had 23. Mitchell had 22. Conley had 15 to go along with 14 assists. Rudy Gobert with 13 and 14 rebounds. Bounds and George Niang with his first career double-double, 18 points and 10 rebounds for the Jazz in a winning effort. Of course, they were shorthanded. No Jordan Clarkson, no Joe Ingles, no Royce O'Neal. But they get the W and now have a couple of days off. Let's get some post-game sound. Let's start out with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Okay, we'll start with Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Quinn, what can you tell us about what you saw from Terrell Brantley tonight? Well, you know, we... we... Sometimes, you know, players, most players at some point have, have heard, you know, keep working, stay ready. You know, you, you never know when your opportunity is going to present itself. And um, JB's done a great job of just doing exactly that. Uh, Vince Lagarza and Brian Bailey in the gym working. You know, it's true of all of our young guys. Um, but Jarrell got got an opportunity tonight and came in with a defensive mindset and was able to impact the game. Andy Larson, Solar Tribune. And kind of the obvious question here, but what did you tell the guys when you're down 15-17 in the first quarter and things don't start very well and to kind of turn things around? Well, I, I think, you know, obviously th- th- we weren't 
we didn't have a presence defensively. I thought they were too comfortable. Um, you know, Dort came out making shots and, you know, we had to make it harder on them. You know, they got on the offensive glass. There's a number of things that, that they were doing well, but we, we really weren't providing enough resistance defensively. And then, you know, from that point through really middle through the fourth, um, thought we again, lost our focus somewhat, um, during that stretch, but so we've, we've got to have, you know, the, the right frame of mind defensively at the beginning of the game. And, you know, we've had that at various times this year um, and been very good in those situations, whether it's the beginning of the first or the third. Um, but it's something that we're mindful of and we just need to keep, um, you know, focused on. Ben Anderson, KSLsports.com. Do you learn something different from the lower usage guys when they start to play uh, with more of the rotation players? Yeah, I think, you know, those guys spend a lot of time staying in shape, playing three on three, playing four on four. And, but when, you know, you're in the game um, in a different setting, as you said, with more guys that are rotational in the, you know, the middle of the game, um, you know, you, you have to figure out what your role is and, you know, how you can impact the game is different uh, in that setting than it may be, you know, in a different setting, whether even if it's at the end of the game, when guys come in, you, you want to see guys play the right way. But, um, you know, when Mie or Juwan or JB have an opportunity, it's during, during the game, they're, they're out there with, you know, Mike and Rudy and Donovan and Boyan and different guys. And, you know, again, I, I think the one thing that, that everybody can do that, that helps the team is, is to offend and rebound. And, you know, if that's where your mindset is, um, you know, the other stuff tends to, to happen. And whether you make a shot or not um, is less important than what you do on the defensive end. Last question, Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. When you give Royce a night off and George comes in and posts 18 and 10, uh, what did you think about his play throughout the night? You know, the good thing about what George did is he didn't, he didn't get outside of himself. That's what he's been doing. He just got, um, you know, he got more opportunity, more minutes. And, you know, sometimes when that happens, um, guys try to do more. And in George's case, what he did was plenty. Um, I thought he really let the game come to him. And he, again, he was focused on the right things defensively and, you know, offensively moving the ball and making quick decisions. There's jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. His team wins last night, 106 to 96 over the Oklahoma city thunder. Let's now hear from the players. Let's start things off with Boyan Bogdanovich. Hey Boyan, first up we'll have Sarah Todd desert news. Hey, Boyan, it looked like it was uh, a little painful when Rudy was helping you up after you fell on the ground. Uh, how is your wrist doing right now, and uh, did, how, did that affect you at all? I mean, it didn't affect me today, but whenever I get a get a hit, he was he really pulled me hard from a, from a, from a ground. So I got a I got a use to that. So yeah, it's it's kind of kind of painful, but it's just for a, for a couple moments after, after that. And then I'm, I'm fine. So it didn't affect me at all. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Okay. You were able to get to the basket pretty often tonight. It was and, and with some success too. I mean, was there uh, something you were doing differently or, or had a, a uh, emphasis on in order to do that tonight? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, we had a couple, couple guys out, on this on this back to back, so we run more 
way more set offenses for me. So I was able to to get to the to the basket and, and, and draw the foul even I didn't start the start the game well. So just I was just trying to be to be more aggressive these these two games. Matt calls AP. What was the the problem at the beginning of the game and, and, and then at the end? It seemed like the beginning and the end there was a little bit of a lack of focus. We kinda we kinda start a game without without any 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 energy both offensively and, and, and defensively. So we gotta be we gotta be very better. We had a couple games this season starting starting that way and then against against great team it's gonna be it's gonna be tough to get back and, 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 and win the game. So so we did a pretty pretty good job second and, and third third quarter defending and, and, and running on offensively shooting threes. George George hit a six or seven threes tonight. So yeah we, we need a we need a better start but uh, but collectively. Eric Walden Salt Lake Tribune Boyan, what does it say that on a night when you are without Royce and Jordan and Joe that you can have a George step into the lineup, you can have a Jarrell Brantley play 22 minutes and, and be solid and uh, just have guys step into roles like that? Listen, credit credit to them for uh, for this win for sure. It's it's tough for them to to be out of out of rotation and then suddenly you need them to play to play 30 minutes so they are they are doing great job taking care of of their bodies stay staying in a shape working on, on on their games and like you like you mentioned uh like you mentioned JB had a had a great game tonight both offensively and and, and defensively Ryan Miller KSL Okay do you change the way you play at all when guys are out me particularly or, or, or our team? Uh, you particularly. I mean we are running we are running same set of fences, but uh instead of running for, for someone else, I mean there is like 30, 30 more shots over there. So so I'm I'm first to first to Donovan when when, when Mike join and then JC are out. So of course that I have to be aggressive. It's normal that I'm gonna have uh I'm gonna have more more shots, more touches. So so it's great. It's great how we how we manage the shot, basically. No matter who is uh, who is on the floor, or who is out. Follow up from Andy Larson. Okay, just uh, you guys are on pace for the most three point shots ever in league history as as a team. And I'm curious, kind of when when you were sitting out during the bubble, was there a point when you kind of came back and realized, holy cow, we can take a whole lot more shots, a whole lot more threes than we did last year, even though we kind of have the same group. No, of course, especially especially the way the way Donovan is, is playing right now. So the all 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 the defense it's it's focused on him and, and then we are playing we are playing great defense. So our our first and primary offense is it's it's our it's our transition and, and, and that's that's the part of the game that, that we struggle if we don't if we don't guard. So if we guard we can we can really, really shoot a three, and no matter who is on the floor, JB hit a couple, couple tonight. Georgie, when he got a, he got more minutes, he gonna, he gonna take them. So, we are really doing great job taking the threes. Last one, follow up from Eric Walden. Well, now that you guys are 
down below 20 games remaining in the regular season. And you have a night like tonight where Royce takes a night off to rest. How do you kind of strike the right balance between not burning guys out and winning enough games to keep the number one seed and, and to keep getting better every night? I mean, like I mentioned, our, our young guys did a great job there staying in a, in a shape, keeping their body, taking care of the, of their body. So it's going to be, I, I think personally, there's going to be huge if you finish first or, 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 or second. So even resting the guys, we are, we are doing a great job. Last night we had a, we had a tough one. So no matter what, a, what coaching staff decide who they're going to rest or if they're going to rest the guys, I think that we have enough quality to, to, to beat anybody in this league. There's Boyan Bogdanovich, 23.7 rebounds for Boyan last night, 10 of 10 from the line. Uh, let's now move on to Rudy Gobert. All right, we'll start with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Rudy. So obviously you guys got off to a bit of a slow start and you finished a bit slow as well. Um, What's one, what's behind kind of those slow bookends to the game and what changed in between? I think uh, we started the game a little too comfortable. You know, the the young team and, you know, they are fresh and they all want to, you know, prove themselves and they, they have talent, you know, so they started the game firing and uh, took us a little bit to react. But once we started to get more physical, to play defense, to to communicate, you know, we we got back in this game. And, uh, you know, when we when we defend like that, it, it fuels our offense. You know, and when we move the ball offensively like we did, um, it fuels our defense. Matt Coles, AP. Rudy, it seems, I know that you don't think blocks are the most important thing when you're playing defense, but it seems like they come in bunches. When you had four in the third quarter, what was going right to allow you to get to so many balls? I mean, I just try to do the same thing that I always do, you know, which is uh, make sure the other team doesn't score. And uh, if they score, it's going to be shots that uh, they're not comfortable taking, you know, and contested. And, uh, you know, they kept attacking the rim, you know, so I kept being there. <laughs> That's it. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Rudy, when you guys kind of came into the season or came into the bubble last year, was there a point where Quinn Snyder kind of got you guys all together and said, hey, we want to take a lot more threes than we were in the regular season last year? Because you know, you're on pace to set the record in terms of threes made. He did. And uh, it was speaking specifically about catch and shoot threes because the percentage is when we shoot catch and shoot threes is is is, is much better than the threes of the dribble and uh, and obviously when we when the threes come from one of your teammates passing you the ball obviously it connects us even more and uh, it makes us better and harder to guard and you know I think for except the last few games and today I think we did a great job you know for the most part we've been doing a great job you know uh finding the open shooters and uh, and we got so many great shooters on this team that uh you know when we do that and we are willing to do that it's really really hard to to guard us. Christo Saltos, Sportine out of Greece. Hello Rudy, congratulations on the win. How important you. for you was to bounce back after a tough loss last night and what would you like to to improve after, uh, from tonight's game? 
I think uh, from tonight's game, I think we just need to start the game better. You know, we we got to start with a little more uh, physicality, you know, especially defensively, and uh, and then it's going to dictate the whole game. Um, you know, we started the game uh, a little soft, and uh, you know they they got a lot of confidence, and you know, and maybe uh, you know they sometimes we don't come back from this, you know, against a team that has more experience. Uh, you give a team a lot of confidence, like we gave them early in the game, and it, it makes it a lot harder for us defensively. Um, so you know, it's yeah, consistency, you know, mindset, focus. Uh, even when we we don't have the legs and we're a little tired, we need to make sure that we have the focus and uh, you know the the, the toughness uh, mentally, you know, to to start the game uh, and uh, and be more physical. Last one, Eric Walden. Rudy, down the stretch run of the regular season, what do you need to do to kind of find the right balance between winning games uh, to keep improving as a team and, you know, maybe to get a little bit of rust uh, like Royce did tonight? I think the number one thing, um, you know, for us, taking care of ourselves, you know, uh, what we do outside the court, where we eat, uh, the recovery, the work, you know, all that stuff is is is, is a big factor. Uh, you know, especially over a long period of time and coming into the playoffs, I think it's it makes a big difference. Um, and and then communication, you know, communicate with the with the with the staff. Uh, you know, uh, that's it. I mean, listening to your body. Uh, you know, there's some days when you feel tired. I mean, personally, some days I feel really tired, but um, I try to you know, tell myself that I'm not. And once, once once the game comes, you know, I'm a little excited. And, you know, especially when people talk, uh, I'm a little excited. And, uh, you know, it makes me want to, you know, be there for my team every night, you know, because this competition. But, yeah, you know, sometimes you got to – I have also I have to, you know, listen to my body and uh, be smart and uh, the same for everybody. You know, we – Obviously, we want to, you know, keep the first seed, but uh, keeping our half, I think, is uh, even more important. There's Rudy Gobert, 13 points, 14 rebounds, seven block shots for Rudy in the winning effort. Let's now hear from George Niang. All right, we'll start with Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Hey, George. Um, you know, you have Royce resting tonight and a couple other guys sitting out taking care of, you know, little injuries and bumps and bruises. Um has there been a little bit of extra messaging maybe from the health performance staff or the coaching staff on uh, paying attention to your guys' bodies and maybe letting them know when you might need a night off? Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's super important, especially, you know, with the amount of games that we were playing in a short period of time. Um, but, you know, I really don't, I don't want to say I don't pay attention to that because we have such a great health and performance staff that, you know, is constantly, you know, in communication with us, the coaches of how much we're doing um, and what we should be doing. So uh, that's all in, you know, preparation of the, the game. And, you know, that's all sought out before, you know, anything major happens. So I'm just thankful that we have them on our side to, you know, sometimes be precautious and, and hold us out when, you know, we're, getting going too much. Ben Anderson, kslsports.com. George, is there a different flow to the game when you start? What do you notice that's different? 
Um, you know, obviously I just go in there and, and play my game. Uh, I, I don't really, you know, see any difference. My role is, you know, to space the floor and make shots and sometimes get in there and, and play make, uh, for others. Um, obviously, you know, starting is my first start of this year, but you know, you got to have the confidence to believe that you can start in the NBA and, and I do. So uh, I didn't take it as anything new. I treated this game just like any other. And uh, I just wanted to go out there and, and do what I do on a daily basis. I think when people try to do stuff that they're not capable of, that's when bad stuff happens. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. George, what did you make of Jarrell Brantley's game today? And then what is he kind of like off the court in practice, that kind of thing? <laughs> Jarrell is probably just as loud and happy and outgoing as I am. Um, he's a he's a great dude, and I'm so happy for him because he stayed, as we like to say, as young kids like to say, 10 toes down and, you know, kept grinding through everything, whether if it was, you know, being inactive or not playing um, or getting a little bit of minutes here. He just stayed true to who he was and kept his head down and kept working. And you know what I mean? The the proof is in the pudding. The kid put in the work and he got to go out there tonight and show it off. And I think, you know, I don't say we weren't impressed because we're, we know he's capable of it, but obviously we were impressed to see him do that in a game. Um, and, but more, more importantly, just super happy for him because, you know, like I said before, you know, I, I know the grind of being on a two way and, you know, getting your opportunities and wanting to hit a grand slam. And he definitely did that. So I'm happy, you know, that he got to get out there and perform and play as well as he did. Dana Green, ABC four. Hey, George, knowing that uh, this more of the scoring load was going to fall on you and your start um, hitting that first shot, how big a, uh, how big was that for you to hit that first one? It seemed like it opened the floodgates for you in the in the in the first half, or with with four three pointers. Uh, Dana, I don't know if you know, but my first one was a corner three, and I missed it. But the second one went in, so that one opened the floodgates. So we'll, All right, we'll second one, no, second one. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was good. I mean, obviously, when you get to see shots go in, it's great. Um, but you know, more importantly, I try to get lost in the game. Um, I really don't try to focus on making shots because then you put too much pressure on yourself. I kind of just let the game come to me and really uh, do as I do. Matt Cole's AP. third one was good too. <laughs> So you played well and you got 13 three-point attempts, but you guys found yourselves down 17. What was going through your mind or collectively as a team to, to say, how can we get back into this one? Matthew, uh, you know, I told myself I choose positivity in 2021. So we're not going to talk about how we got down 17. No, I mean, it, it happens. You know what I mean? They came out ready to play and we've blitzed teams before and they blitzed, they blitzed us. So our backs were up against the wall and we had to respond and we have a great group of guys that, you know, are resilient. So we got to, you know, make it happen and play jazz basketball and the rest is history. Eric Weldon, Salt Lake Tribune. George, on a night like this, when you're missing Joe and JC due to injury and then Royce is sitting out for rest, how do you kind of strike the balance down the stretch run of the season between maybe getting the occasional rest for a rotation regular and also still trying to win games and hold on to the number one seed and still trying to get better as a team game by game? Are you talking about like what I would, what I would do? Or are you, uh, like The team in general. We had, listen, that is 
way out of my pay grade. Um, the okay. coaching staff, okay. the coaching staff, and the tra- the coaching staff and the training staff—they do a great job of managing all that um, throughout the year. Um, you know, I like to stay in my lane because when I get out of my lane, that's how you get hit by a Mack truck. So I have, you know, what I mean, I. I just come to work every day, do what I do, but I, I think they have a good grasp on, you know, resting guys and figuring out what guys need. Um, yeah, the minivan's still trucking. That's all I got for you. There's George Niang. He got the start for uh, Royce O'Neal, who was resting at his first career triple-double, 18 points and 10 rebounds. Let's now hear from Jarrell Brantley. We'll get started with Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Hey, Jarrell. Uh when you've got a night like tonight, you know you're going to be getting a little bit more minutes. What's the sort of the first thing that goes through your mind that you you want to maybe produce or do on the court? Uh, just focus on the little things. Uh, it's amazing to be out there with a you know the number one team and to learn on a day in and day out basis. Um, today is just a day where I get to show it, um, show that I've been paying attention and learning, and I got a lot of guys to learn from. So for me, it's a blessing, uh, and it was another blessing to be out there and play with them. So. You know, just got to keep letting the days add up. Ryan Miller, KSL. Hey, Jarrell, I noticed that, like, during breaks in the game, you and Donovan would be talking. Uh, What were those conversations like? What was he telling you? Yeah, no, I I try to pick Don's brain uh, as much as I can. And, honestly, in those times, I want them to feel comfortable understanding that I've been paying attention, like I said. I want them to know that I know their their movements and uh, that they can depend on me. So, I think a lot of that is – just allowing him to know, like, I know what you're going to do. I want you to know what I'm going to do, uh, no matter my minutes. If I, I may not play again this year, but if I do, I want him to understand that I'm a guy that he can lean on. Um, and that goes for a lot of the guys. So, it's just like I said, got a lot of days keep adding up. Ben Anderson, KSLSports.com. So, Jarrell, you're playing against more experienced guys on nights like this, but you're also playing with more experienced guys. How does that help your game? Yeah, you know, when you get to play with great players, um, it'll help you. Um, So for me, like I said, it's a blessing. I'm on the number one team in the league. My job is to be a sponge, be a sponge, learn. And when the opportunity comes, you know, um, help the team. So I got I was I had the opportunity to do so today. uh, And hopefully I get another opportunity. But Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Drill, did you know going into the game that you were going to play a little bit today? Or, or was that kind of a – when Queen calls your name from the bench, was it a surprise? Or kind of how did that work? Um, I mean, I, I kind of had a feeling, um, you know, just the way things have been going on this team. Uh, but at the same time, I kind of try to tell myself every day that I'm going to play, um, even if I know there's no shot. But just mentally um, preparing myself to be ready and to be, be useful for my team. So uh, – I think in a lot of ways, I've been prepared for this moment since the beginning of the season. Last question, follow-up from Sarah Todd. Well, I know that you relish the moments that on the defensive end. And you going against a guy like Dort, and he's playing so well, what, is, what do you have to keep in your mind? And is that something that you're looking forward to and that you're happy that you're tasked with? Yeah, no, nah, that's special um, to get to get the task to uh, guard the person who's going to have the ball in their hand the most. Um, I think I take pride in my defense. Um, I don't want the, I don't want the offensive player to score on me. Um, and that's just kind of where I was brought up, how I was brought up. So it's special to be in that position. And it's special that our teammate, my teammates and the coaches trusted me with that role and with that task. And, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. These moments are amazing. Today was amazing. So 
Um, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but today was amazing. That was Jarrell Brandley, who got 22 minutes last night, and he played great. Played some heads-up defense, had 10 points on four or five shooting, two of three from three. Also grabbed four boards and had an assist as well. The Utah Jazz overcome 42 points from Lou Dort, the Arizona State product, to come away with a win over Oklahoma City, 106-96. to Next up for the Jazz, Indiana on Friday afternoon. That game will start at 1 o'clock. Uh, pre-game will begin at noon, and you'll hear it all on uh, right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. There's the best of the post-game show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Niang, open three, left side. Good, George Niang's fourth in the first quarter. George Yang's got 12 of the Jazz, 22 points. Donovan pulls up on favors for three, no good. Brantley offensive rebound. Back to Donovan, splits the defense, cut off. Flares back to Brantley for a left angle three that's good. Joe Brantley makes that shot. He's going to play a lot of years in the NBA. Works to the left side, guarded by the long, lanky Hall, who doesn't seem like he can move a great deal. High lob to Rudy. He goes over Moroni, catches and dunks. David Locke on the call. Some of the highlights is the Jazz get the victory 106-96 over the Oklahoma City Thunder. They were down 17 in the first quarter. Seven or eight bad minutes, and then they pulled it together and were up by 20 and dominated the rest of the game. No Joe Ingles, no Jordan Clarkson, no Royce O'Neal. So they went down the bench a little bit, and they still got a comfortable win. And now they get two days off and get ready for the Pacers on Friday. And PK was seven or eight bad minutes, but I thought after that, everything was fine. Yeah, Lou Dort obviously was shooting out of his mind in those seven or eight bad minutes. That's a game that I contribute to the other team, particularly Dort, an undrafted free agent. Wow, 42 points, seven boards. Just uh, happy for that kid to be able to find his way in the league, and he's playing with a bunch of uh, end-of-the-bench guys who I'm not even sure would be on the bench on a lot of teams. So... I didn't really feel like they were threatened in that regard. I thought they would come back and and things would equalize, and and they did. Yep, Jazz get the win. They get a couple days off. They get some guys rested. They were talking about how fatigued they were on Monday. Uh, And then Rudy Gobert says when he's tired, he just tells himself he's not tired. That was probably the highlight of the postgame for me. Mind over matter. Uh, Tired? Mm, Okay, you're tired. Yeah, so you're tired. (laughs) I mean, the games count whether you're tired or not. So what's the attitude you need to take? Two days off before the back-to-back with the Pacers Friday afternoon at 1 and then the Lakers Saturday afternoon in L.A. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Durant in a post-up, draws a double out to Chioza, pump fake, moves it left, finds Durant a deep three, and hits. George, crossover on Sabonis in the lane, put it up, put it in with a left hand, PG-13 with 30 points, and we're not even through this third quarter with 4.50 to play. McCollum reaching for the ball, four on a shot clock, it's got to be Tatum, stepping to his right, tough three, got it! (laughs) A dagger from Jason Tatum! Do you have any thoughts about... Him? Are you an A-Rod fan at all growing up or anything like that? What do you think about what he might bring to the team? A fan? What do you mean? Like, 
Who is he? The baseball player, Alex Rodriguez. Yeah, no, nah, I, I don't know. Okay. I know, I know he's going to be the owner, but I don't, I don't, I don't know nothing about baseball. Anthony Edwards doesn't know who Alex Rodriguez is because he doesn't know anything about baseball, and he didn't seem particularly uh, flustered no. by any of that. He know nothing about baseball, <laughs> buddy. Uh, you heard highlights from around the NBA there. The Phoenix Suns keep it going. That is uh, three in a row, 10 out of 11. They've been, uh, they've been looking good for weeks, for months. And a back-to-back, it was both at home, so that didn't bother them. They went by 20 over Miami. Yeah, I think it was impressive about that is they had four guys off the bench in double figures and another guy with nine points. And so they've developed a bench along the way, and that, that can only do anything but nothing but help them as they get going into the postseason. I don't know how deep they're going to go in the postseason, but develop those guys, get them out there, and uh, give you some lift. We saw that uh, a little bit maybe with uh, Denver. You know, they had some guys out early, got, uh, when they get two guys back during the course of the playoffs last year? At least one comes to mind. So that was a nice win for them. As comfortable as it was, too, I didn't think it would be that easy. Definitely didn't think they were going to win by 20 on the second night of a back-to-back over the Heat, but they got it done. And the Clippers beat the Pacers, who the Jazz will be seeing on Friday. Uh, They win 126-119. Paul George had 36 in that game. The Pacers have to go to Houston before they come to Utah, so they're zigging and zagging all over the place. Yeah, Paul George has really been on a tear. Uh, he's shooting career best. I looked this up this morning. Forty-seven uh, percent from the field, forty-three percent from three. And uh, we talked about it, man. If you're going to profile an NBA player, his his physical stature really would fit in, and he starts making those shots like he's been doing. We'll see if he can do it in the postseason because that's been the bugaboo for him. But if he can, man, he's got all the skills just to be a marquee player. The Lakers. Minus are two stars, playing some 500 ball here. Went four and three on their long seven-game road trip. Never lost back-to-back. Started with a win and just alternated wins and losses. And beat the Hornets 101-93. They were down early in that game, and they don't have their, obviously, their, their two marquee guys, but they found a way to grind it out and win, 101-93. Kuzma had 24, so nice win for the Lakers, who seemed destined to... Uh, Stay in front of Portland as Portland loses again. So all the thought about how far the Lakers might drop, I, I think we found the bottom for them. Yeah, I'm, I'm not that impressed with the win over the Hornets. They're missing Ball and Hayward. Uh, they don't really have much. Even with those two guys, they're not a great team. Without them, they stink. Hmm. Uh, Kevin Durant went for 31 as the Nets crushed the uh, the Timberwolves. So Brooklyn keeps it going. They got their three stars. They never seem to have really more than one of them. Occasionally they have two, but... Kyrie Irving didn't go, and Harden's got the hamstring stuff, and it didn't matter. They won by 30. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. The transfer news, you mentioned this one late in the show yesterday, PK. Connor Harding is leaving BYU and going to UVU. And University of Utah star Timmy Allen is going to Texas to play for their new head coach, Chris Beard. He will be a Longhorn, so... The Utes going to be looking for some more offensive pa- uh, firepower going forward. Timmy Allen off to Texas. Oh, Tim Allen, man. I'm going to miss him. I hope he finds what he's looking for in Texas. I don't blame him. doesn't look. I know 
Coach Smith worked Winters and Logan, but I don't know that. Well, the team isn't all together, so it's hard to make an evaluation at this point. But it doesn't look like they would be an NCAA tournament team this coming season. And Allen's running out of time, so who can blame him for that? DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Players for the Broncos, Seahawks, and Buccaneers will not uh, formally report to their team facilities for their voluntary offseason workouts. Voluntary. Yeah. Teams issued statements uh, through the Players Association. The Broncos statements cited rising COVID positivity rates in Denver and surrounding communities. So the NFL not back to normal yet, but the voluntary workouts, I think, uh, may be important to them, but we can live without them. I saw a thing from Bruce Arians, the coach at Tampa Bay, saying that if you miss a recital or a child's game, I will fire you of his assistants and people on his staff. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> take this personal time and soak it in. <laughs> yeah, because he was saying that you know you, there's plenty of time for you to put your work in, and those events usually are like two hours, mm-hmm. you know, a recital or a game. Roughly, you know, maybe a little bit more if it's a football game. But he's talking about, because he's an older guy, I think he's like 67, 68 now. And he's talking about how he missed stuff. And it never comes back. It's uh, either you did or you didn't, and you can't recapture it. So he was saying that if you don't do it, I'll fire you because there's plenty of time. You can come in at midnight and get your work done, whatever you need to do. But he wants you to make sure you take advantage of that time. And that's from someone who's uh, way, way on the other end of it and understands it. So the NFL said uh, their, their chief medical officer, Dr. Alan Sills, said last month that no NFL employee, including players, would be required to be vaccinated as a condition of employment. But the NFL does expect the key members of each team's football operations staff to receive a COVID-19 vaccine unless they have a bona fide medical or religious reason not to, according to a memo issued to all clubs. Pretty fine line right here, PK. Looks like they got one one thing in public and another in private, and the memo in private is now in public. Yeah, I, I don't know what the law is on this. If, the, if an employer can force an employee to do it or fire them, uh, I know that uh, if you are in that position, you better be really good at your job because they're not going to force you. If you're if Tom Brady doesn't want the vaccine, my guess is they're not going to fire him. Yeah, right. Uh, and if and I also, I thought the vaccine, how long is it supposed to last? I thought it was like a six-month deal. That's what I thought, too. So if you got it now... You have to get it again. But they want you to get it now because they don't want these voluntary off-season workouts. I mean, three teams aren't doing them, but others yeah, are. Yeah, I know they want yeah. you to get it. Yeah. I understand. That's not the issue, whether they want you or not. I'm sure every boss wants... Uh, his uh, his or her staff to get it. Not probably not everyone, but you get the point. Uh, but whether they have a legal obligation to get it, if my employer says you must get it, I don't. I don't have no idea what the law would be on that. Houston attorney Tony Busby said in a statement that his law firm will amend all of the lawsuits against Deshaun Watson to close the names to disclose the names of the 22 plaintiffs, even those not currently subject to any court order. Watson's lawyer, Rusty Harden, told the NFL Network yesterday that one of the women who filed one of the 22 lawsuits has dropped her civil case against Watson. There's your daily update. 22 lawsuits against Watson. 22 lawsuits. Drop one down. You got 21. Pass it around. That's all I got for you. Hadn't heard that in a long time. That's a decent effort on that one. (laughs) DJ and PK. 
Hashtag Major League Baseball. Duffy has not allowed a hit since the second, and he's allowed only one base runner on the two-out walk to Suzuki last inning. Did Shohei get him? Get going. Get going to right and gone. The 3-2. There's a fly ball to left field, and that is going to be the third home run of the night for the Dodgers. Betts' second home run of the year. It's lined to left field, and McCutcheon will not get it. In the score is McNeil. The Mets win it on an RBI single by Jonathan VR here in the bottom of the eighth inning. Highlights around Major League Baseball. Mookie Betts homering. Trevor Bauer goes seven innings. Dodgers blank the Rockies, seven zip. Marlins twice as good, 14-0 over the Braves. Adam Duvall homer twice. Seven ribbies, PK. Let's get those stats going. Let's inflate those numbers. Let's get them fired up. That's a good game. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, some of the teams that sucked right out of the gate are doing quite well right now. Uh, Oakland beat Arizona. The Athletics started 0-6, but now they've gone 5-1 and and are moving back towards 500. And the Red Sox started 0-3, and they've now won seven in a row. They beat the Twins 4-2. Boston's got it going. Yeah, that's uh, funny that they've been, they've been winning like that. The Athletics... I think that, you know, they got off to a horrible start, but I think they were going to be a decent ball club. Uh, the Dodgers, I was exchanging texts with a friend of mine who lives in California. So we've both seen a crap load of baseball over the years. The Dodger team is scary dominant. It's crazy how good they are. And I said, oh, well, I agree with you, man. <laughs> I said, I think they're going to win over 100, win, get over 100 wins and in and, and the World Series. And I told him about my pick of Corey Seager for your NL MVP. See if I can get one right. He agreed with all of that. I mean, well, you know, the baseball is, is funky because uh, you got in a getting a little slump at the wrong time, and you can get in trouble. But I, I think that over the, over them. I mean, this is a team that was down three one to Atlanta last year, weren't they in the postseason? Uh, I think it was Atlanta, and uh, they came back. So. You never really know. I mean, over the course of 162, absolutely, he agrees. But when you get in those short Playoff series, series yeah. you, especially in baseball, you can have these no-name dudes get hot and make themselves a legend, a pitcher and whatever, whatever it might be. Or con- conversely, a pitcher struggles. So you never really know once you get to the postseason. But over the course of 162, yeah, I think they have an opportunity to, to be right up there with some of the record-setting teams and number of wins. Padres were supposed to be good and push the Dodgers. You know, the Padres weren't good yesterday. Blake Snell got knocked out 38 pitches, I think, in the first inning. He gets knocked out, and they end up losing to the Pirates 8-4. to But the Padres have eight wins and four losses. I mean, you win two-thirds of your games, you're rolling. But they're still a game and a half behind the Dodgers, who are 9-2. and Crushing it. Well, they've got a big series coming up this weekend, they I think. They do. They do have one this weekend. Uh, also, the Giants are kind of going with them. Nice start for the Giants. I don't know how long they can sustain it, but they beat the Reds 7-6. to six. They're 7-4. and four. Two games behind the Dodgers, half game behind the Padres. So, good start for San Francisco. Looking well, Posey's back. You know, he didn't play last year. I got to think he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, catching stats. Uh, ca- stats for catchers, they're not overwhelming. But, you know, he was so integral in their World Series, and he's uh, the best player from that team. There's a couple others who are still there from that World Series dominance that they had, the three of them. He didn't play last year. He sat out, and so he's back, and he's making a difference. Yeah, maybe the Giants, their rebuild is going to go a little quicker than we expected. 
Tied for the third best record in the National League right now with the, uh, the Reds who lead the Central Division. Uh, Cleveland Indians infielder Yu Chang, a native of Taiwan, shared on Twitter that he received racist social media messages after he made a, uh, a critical error, a throwing error in Cleveland's loss Monday to the White Sox. His tweets, his tweets read in part, exercise your freedom of speech in the right way. I accept all comments, positive or negative, but definitely not racist ones. Thank you all and love you all. Hashtag stop Asian hate. Reporters following up on this are now saying that uh, of the three tweets, two of the accounts have been deleted. Another is private. So a lot yeah. of hate from really negative anonymous people who then sure. get called out. And up, oh, there's daylight. I'm gone. I, and I, I certainly don't condone this. It's a completely 100 percent unacceptable. I don't know why anybody would do this. It makes no sense. But, I mean, we've all been subject to this. Now, I haven't been subject to racist tweets because I'm white, and I'm the racist if you listen to some people. So, uh, But I get all sorts of hate stuff. I've gotten all sorts of hate stuff over the years. And I've saved a few just to use as motivation. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's the downside of the Internet is these idiots that, especially if they're anonymous, think it's acceptable to do these types of things. And I don't think it's ever going to stop. If we're ever looking for... It to go away 100%, we're going to be disappointed. But that doesn't mean we don't speak out every time we hear it. And this is completely and totally unacceptable, as I say. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There is no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. All right, coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, Thor Nystrom, league college football and NFL draft writer for NBC Sports Edge. And at 8.30, Eric Walden, Utah Jazz writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. we got a question of the day. Off of last night's game, the Jazz was sort of a lackluster performance in beating the outman Thunder. Any concerns or just get us to the playoffs? Lottie weighing in on Facebook, DJ and PK. Hit us up on Twitter, David DJ James. Get to your thoughts on last night's game and the rest of the season next. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. In the Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes of Toast brought to you by Jerry Signer Cadillac. Cadillac owners may have changed, but luxury hasn't. Come see the bold new lineup of Cadillac at Jerry Signer Cadillac today. Question of the morning, Jazz. Sort of lackluster performance. They beat the outman Thunder. Any concerns or just get us to the playoffs? Get me to the church on time. Scott says, let's be honest. I love these guys. They're awesome. There should always be concern with the Utah Jazz team heading to the playoffs. Never not concerned. Must be well, concerned. The playoffs are coming up. they've never won the title, I guess that's appropriate. But what's your level of concern relative to prior years? Parker says, considering three guys are out, no concerns. 
And Rob says no concerns outside of Utah. Everyone else knows the Jazz can't beat the Lakers or the Nets. Nets. I mean, I'm not even worried about the Nets. I mean, that's on the other side of the bracket. That's a thing of worrying about when you get there. If you get there, you may not get there. So what's the point of worrying about that as far as I'm concerned? And who knows what Nets team is going to be available. They've had drama all season. So the Nets are completely and totally out of my mind. And who knows if the Nets will get there, right? And if they get there, what, what, what status are they going to be? I guess if you get there, you got to be pretty good. So uh, Yeah, but Laker, I think to your Laker point. issue is a real concern. Yeah, but to your point, you can get there. I mean, the Warriors got to the finals and had massive injuries and then didn't win in the finals. So that's, I mean, that's, who knows, to your point, who knows what the scenario is going to be. But that is one scenario where you can get to the finals and then suddenly be concerned because they could have their three stars and yeah. be blowing through the East and then get to the finals and, whoops, there's a hamstring. Oops, there's another hamstring. and But that's a concern I want to have. <laughs> okay. I mean, I want to worry about the Nets because that means I'm in the finals, right? If I'm the Jazz, I absolutely want to worry about the Nets. But there's no point in worrying about them now. It's it's such a monumental effort to get to that point. Uh, and you have to go through three series, which could be you know a month and a half of basketball, depending on how it plays out. So, uh, I'm, not, I'm why worry about them? You got you got immediate concerns that you have to worry about. You know, it's like I, I've, I'm entered high school, and oh my gosh, I got to take uh, U.S. government when I'm a senior and I'm a freshman. <laughs> it seems so silly to worry about that. If it comes, it comes, and I will gladly worry about it at the time. Uh, but because if you get to the finals, obviously you're a pretty doggone good team, even though the other team is really good too. You're good, so that would be such an accomplishment. Something obviously they've only done twice. And many teams have not even done it once, or if they have, it's you know been a long, long time. So let's see what that would happen. Let's see what what see like that would. What I'm trying to say is, let's see what that would feel like. I guess it would feel really, really good in the moment, and it would suck in the short term if you lost. But there'd be a lot of excitement if you lost in the finals. I mean, I think they've got the West. It's got some really good teams, and so what. It, I would much rather prefer to worry about the stuff that is much more possible in the Lakers, the Clippers. As I said earlier, if Paul George is going to play like this, that's going to be really intriguing to me to see what he can do, you know, because last year maybe he had some some mental health issues. He talked about them. No one takes them lightly, and you can't put yourself in another man's shoes. So if he says he had it and it was an issue for him, I believe him. but you got to back it up with good play if you want to be the true superstar. The playoff is where it's going to matter the most, obviously. So, you know, if he comes close to what he's doing right now, man, they're going to really be tough themselves. So there's a lot of firepower in the West that the Jazz are going to have to get through. And consequently, if I'm the Clippers or the Lakers or whomever, I'm looking at the Jazz. And, wow, that's a lot of firepower I got to through. And I just named a couple teams, and I didn't even name the second-best team, the Suns. If you're playing any of the top five in the West, you ought to be concerned. And that's not to say that Portland or Dallas can't wreck somebody's offseason because yeah, I think they, they're they, good enough to do it. Are. I don't think they're good enough to get, uh, to get out of the West. No. Um, but the, the thing is, if the Jazz hold on to the top spot, six and seven are going to the other side of the bracket, and the odds of seeing them are really low. So 
I, I think the Lakers are going to hold it together here and not drop below five. But if you just take the standings today, the Jazz second round series, assuming they beat the eight, is the Nuggets or the Lakers. So oh, the Lakers. By, by the time you get to the second round, right, with Jamal Murray going out, I think we would all pick the Lakers because we assume their guys are going to be back and healthy then. They are. So They're just doing what they did last year. They took three months off. <laughs> Resting and freshening up. Yeah, I mean, clearly they are. And Davis doesn't have a body that can go 82. I don't know if it's because of his height or whatever it is, but it doesn't seem like he has a body, and few players are interested. The days of uh, Thurl, Eaton, the statues, everybody and their dog going 82. Yeah, that might as well be in the 1800s. Uh, that just is not going to come close to happening. I think LeBron might have been able to do it just because I think he feels the need to uh, put himself out there uh, because he's such a, you know, he's pretty much the face of the league and, and he wants his voice out there and um, on all sorts of social issues and stuff. So you got to be, you got to be relevant. And so, but, but he had the injury. I mean, I don't doubt that he had the injury. But I wonder, you know, if they so, – so now you've got the injury. Everybody believes you have an injury. We saw him on the floor looking like this, you know, this yeah. ultimate mountain man that we see as indestructible out on the floor rolling in pain. So I wonder if they say, okay, well, now you got the injury, so nobody doubts you're hurt. So let's really take your time here. And uh, we'll see you when it counts in a couple of weeks before the start of the regular season – or excuse me, the start of the playoffs, I mean. And uh, away you go. So it's there. It's real. And uh, if they come back, which I'm expecting them to come back, obviously they're going to be extremely dangerous. Jason says this Jazz team is not actually a championship contender and really struggles with focus. Their defense has completely fallen apart. So concerning. Only if you believe this team will be in the finals. I believe it's just a typical Jazz team with a first, maybe second-round exit in the playoffs. If they want to be championship contenders, they need to get tough and probably swap out some pieces. Wow, that's strong for a team that has the best record in the league. I know. And two all-star, three all-stars. Uh, how many times in franchise history have they three all-stars? Once? Twice, maybe? I don't know. But uh, I think we looked it up and it was once. Yeah, that's a lot of talent there. And Joe Ingles coming off the bench, doing what he can do. He's a really good player off the bench. I mean, his shooting has pretty much stayed consistent. He's had a couple of stretches. Uh, where uh, he hasn't shot in indiv- individual games, but not really stretches, just in games I'm speaking of. So uh, you, that's going to come and go to an extent, but I don't think he's gone through a, a Bogdanovich-like slump, no, nothing that comes to mind. So Bogdanovich looks like he's got it back now. And they were talking about on the broadcast, what I was saying yesterday is that if Bogdanovich adds or regains, not just adds, but regains his three-point stroke combined with his just aggressiveness and taking the basket, it's really been fun to watch. Pretty much putting his head down and just going to the bucket. Uh, that's cool. He's a great free-throw shooter, evidenced by last night. He was 10 attempts and made all 10. So, then, and, and, and Matt and Craig were talking about, well, if he has his three-point shot combined with his ability now to – or his desire and effort to get guys down on the block and make buckets, that just adds to the dimension. And I don't know if this team's going to win a title, but to say this is a typical Jazz team, a typical team of late and and recent years where they were decent, but you knew it was going to take a yeoman's effort just to get out of the first round, I don't see that. I see them as significantly better than that. Well, it feels significantly better, though, if the Lakers knock them out in the second round. 
Well, and that's I, the thing that jazz fans fear that nobody really wants to talk about. And I don't think that anything happened last night makes me more or less concerned about that. I thought last night was fine. I just think that's the looming question. And we don't really know where the Lakers are going to finish um, or when these guys are going to come who back. Who cares where the Lakers are going to finish? No, because if you see them in the second round and so they're healthy, you'd feel you're better the if you get, You'd feel better if you lost in the third round? Yes. The Lakers? No, I don't think you would. I don't. That's just circumstance. I don't think you would. No. Why well, would you feel better if you lost them in the third round as opposed to the second round? Because you have to win a hard could... kind of series that you probably really haven't won. I mean, we'd have to see what it looks like, but I think yeah, that but you, you haven't won up to this point. So what? You're, you're not about winning hard. So this is not a team that is in progression here. This is a team built to win now. There's really no future for this team. As far when I'll check back in two or three years, this team is growing like the Nuggets could possibly be, but the, the Murray injury derailed right. them because they have a bunch of guys under 25 or at 25. That's not who this Jazz team is. So if I lose to the Lakers, what difference? What round? I'm not going to catch them in the first round. I mean, so you get an extra two weeks of basketball. That's nice. But the idea is to be the best team in the West. So if you lose to the Lakers in the second round or the third round, I don't see where there's any difference because I'm expecting you to be better than those other teams. And so I don't know if you're better than the Lakers at this point because if that's your mindset, DJ, then go ahead and tank and let the Suns have the first round or the first seed and let them play the Lakers. If it matters that much, then let them do that. But I think we're way beyond that. If you can't beat the Lakers, you can't beat them. doesn't matter which round you're going to lose to them in as far as I'm concerned. And I think probably a lot of people think that way, but I think that while they're not building with this team, Donovan and Rudy do have a future together. And, you know, I mean, you can go back to the statues. You know, they had their careers, but there were basically three different versions of the Jazz. There was the late 80s guys and and the series you love, taking the Lakers to seven. There was a group in the early 90s, pre-Hornacek, and then there was the Hornacek group that eventually okay, got fine, to the finals. Okay, fine, but it's not like they uh, an, uh, an extra playoff. The reason they got to the finals in 97 and 98, because in 92, they had an extra playoff series. And I don't. I just picked 92. I yeah. have no idea what happened in 92. I don't buy that. They were. They got to the finals because they were better than everybody in the West. Not didn't matter how many playoff series they got before that. They were better than everybody. They were prepared, and the Lakers weren't nearly what they were to become. They were a bunch of young pups. The Lakers were building at that time. Kobe throwing the air yep. balls. That that was progression. He needed that to get where they were. Yeah. The Jazz. I don't think they need to win two series in order to beat the Lakers. No, I wouldn't see that it would pay off like that. I mean, maybe when we get there, we'll look back and say it did, but I don't think it, we will. So at this point, if they got to play him in the second round, sure, I'd rather get him in the third round, too, in the conference finals. Absolutely, I'd rather get them in the conference finals. Delay it as long as possible, but you're going to have to likely face them either way. So if I get them on a Tuesday versus a Wednesday, metaphorically speaking, what difference does it make? I'm going to have to beat them on that Wednesday. So, I, to me, if I'm the Jazz, come on, let's go, man. Uh, vamos. We'll get you in the second round, and we'll beat you in the second round. Because if you beat them in the second round, then wherever you get in the third round, man, your confidence ought to be off the charts. And your cockiness and all everything that you need that all the great players have, confidence and cockiness, because I don't know, the cockiness takes on a negative term, but I don't think it is. 
I think it's something that all the great ones have. And the ones who didn't win the titles, they didn't have it. Duolingo's really paying off for you, isn't it? Oh, that's just one word that we've all known for years, <laughs> isn't it? It's like hola or madre and padre. I mean, just living, just being a breathing person, you ought to pick up some of it, particularly if you grew up in the Southwest. Rick says get everyone healthy. Enough with the injuries. we got a championship to win this year. Yeah, they even hadn't, haven't come close to the number of injuries that a bunch of other teams have had. They've been the healthy team. Yeah. Travis says let's just wrap up that number one seed, get the wins where we should win, a couple we shouldn't, and then hit on all cylinders in the playoffs, and finally bring a title to Utah. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I agree with Travis there. That would be spectacular. Yeah. I mean, there's basically two reasons why you play, to make gobs of money and to win. If you come away with those two things, you ought to be in a pretty good mood. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) How'd it go? Well, we won, and look at this paycheck. Sure, yeah. All right. And tomorrow's the 15th, and they're getting gobs of money again. <laughs> so Sweet. They're getting, for a lot of them, uh, more money they can know what to do with. Uh, yes. So, But you got to win, too. That's part of the process. And they are winning. And they want to win a title. I mean, obviously, they all do. And, yeah, it would just be incredible. I was reading a thing about Denver, you know, how this Jamal Murray this morning, I was going through some stuff, reading something on Jamal Murray on Yahoo Sports and talking about how Denver has, like I said, like we just and we've talked about it, you and I, how Denver has set themselves up to be good the next few years. Yep. And what does this do to the team, how it derails them, not just now, obviously, but potentially down the road. And they're, they kept bringing up, you know, this is this mid-market mm-hmm. franchise, mm-hmm. and they don't have the ability to attract the the marquee free agents, unless I'm missing somebody. I don't know any marquee free agent uh, who went to Denver. I, yep. I can't think of anybody over the years. I know Carmelo Anthony wanted out, so that's an example. Gordon Hayward wanted out. You know, those are two examples, and those are somewhat similar players there. And they both didn't want to be where they were and wanted out. And where did they go? They went to the big-time markets, right? Yep. Obviously, uh, New York and Boston. Boston. Yeah, so, and they're, they're, the whole point of the story is how they've built this in the right way. They have. Exactly, like the Jazz. Yeah. And yeah. now this injury could really undercut them, and they were talking about when Murray gains his full strength, I think that's in Jokic's free agent year and blah, blah, blah. What does it mean? Yada, yada. I mean, we don't know. It was a speculative article, but the point is it's something that the, now the Nuggets have to be concerned with and so it's the same deal here for the Jazz. If the Jazz, I just think it would be great for the league. I think it would be great for professional sports where we can say, see, you can do it. Even if it's an outlier, you still can At least, do it. Well, the thing is you have to prove there's the outlier before you can prove that it's routine. Yeah, you have to have an outlier right. before you, you can you, prove that the outlier yeah. can do it. I get your point. Yeah, you got to have one before then that team can go win two, three, four. And really what the NBA is banking on right now is what happened in San Antonio. Because they're another, hey, not a big market. They're actually about the same size as, uh, as Utah. But they did it. Uh, they got one in the super team era, but mostly they got it before the All-Stars decided, hey, let's start teaming up here. Right. right. I mean, Miami, so L.A., changed. New York. So it's, 
everything is so dramatically different. Yep. The Spurs, that seems like such a long time ago that it's not relevant to today's game. Good for them. They got it, blah, blah, blah. And Greg is uh, making a living, telling us how to how the world should be off of that because he's got the stature. Good for him. I know his opinion every time he speaks. Uh, we get it, Greg. Uh, so way to go. You had yours. But so much has changed since then. And and particularly, you know, with a, with a kid like Mitchell, who he's, he's a New York kid, man. He's a New York kid, no doubt about it. And if you could ever, especially now as New York continues, I mean, they're not totally floundering, but they aren't good. They're not. I don't think they're. They're certainly not great. And if at some point in our lifetime, maybe not our lifetime, our kids' lifetime, <laughs> then the Knicks will win again. And whoever the star is, ah. It'll be yeah. huge. Yeah. Yeah. What the Knicks are right now, the word you're looking for, is mediocre. And they've Which is been an improvement. Right. They've been awful. So mediocre is a step forward. They are literally one game over five hundred right now. Twenty eight and twenty seven. They have the eighth spot in the East. But they don't have anybody on that team that is transcendent and is going to lead them to where they want to go. I mean Julius Randle's nice, but he's been in the league a number of years. And so somebody has to score points and grab rebounds on every team. And I'm not discounting what he's doing, but I, I just don't think he's a superstar. I don't think he's a superstar either. I think that Randall is a great example of a player who was born in the wrong era. I think if he had played in the 80s or 90s, his body type and his skill set is what everybody wanted. You know, He isn't going to shoot a lot of threes, but he is really good inside of 15 feet. And... That was what the league was looking for then. And now they're not, and everybody's shooting threes, and he's getting two. So he'll help you beat the awful teams because he's good. But the best teams loaded with three-point shooters, he's not really what they're looking for. Uh, sure, I get that. Uh, but at the same time, um, I'm not going to argue he was born in the wrong era financially. Yeah, <laughs> financially, he was born in a great era. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, he'd be a guy who was good in the 80s or 90s, and he'd be on TV. You know, Tom Chambers, Thurl Bailey, um, who else? Uh, oh, you tell us about Eddie Johnson. I don't know where he was in the media. But maybe he's doing satellite radio. Yeah, and all those guys, and they crushed it, and they're looking Something at this air and thinking, yeah. man, guys, you aren't half the player that I Yeah, and he's <laughs> making, making $10 million, million a year. He's Holy making cow. 19. I just look it up right now. Oh, yeah. 18.9. So he was born in exactly. He was born in a good era for the paycheck. Yeah, so never discount that uh, because that can make a huge, huge difference. So, uh, but the point being that uh, you know you never know what's down the line with Donovan. Uh, He's committed to the Jazz for now, for sure. But so was Hayward at this point, Uh, and he's a kid. uh, It's it's just tough. It's tougher in a small market. It's tougher. There's no doubt about it. But you still got to try to do it. And right now, this team is trying to do it. And if they can get it, and I know people say oh, it'll be bad for the ratings. To me, you know, ratings have floundered anyway uh, compared to what they used to be, compared to when the statues were in the finals and Jordan was doing his thing. You'll never recreate those numbers, I don't think. So I'm not really worried about that. But I think it would be good for the league if a team like the Jazz won and it really send a message that everybody's got a shot. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. More on the Jazz, getting ready for the postseason. Eric Walden, Jazz writer for the Salt Lake Tribune, will join us at 8.30 right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. 
This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Ron Boone, kind enough to join us. I don't think the Jazz guys should be afraid of any team in the NBA right now, the way they're playing. Uh, and I'll tell you what I'm, in, what I'm enjoying right now, this late in the year, is that most teams now are starting to play the Jazz different than what we saw in the beginning of the year. They're making the Jazz make these adjustments to the point where they're taking away the three-point shot. And so they're staying at home, which means that the Jazz have to do things differently. They have to play in a more of a half-court game, and they're still able to make those adjustments and win basketball games. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. The Davis Vision Spring LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. I can see clearly now I've been to Davis Vision. You should record some of these covers. Kind of a weird Al Yankovic (laughs) thing going on. There's probably a little money to be made. Money doesn't drive me. It's not about the money, Sniggy. PK's new album drops today at 3 o'clock. Make sure you're on the big show with PK. What he guess and debuts? Okay. Well, me and Mick Jagger and Dave Grohl, we released a single. We just put it out. That a kid. <laughs> That's been the big news, Mick. Dropped a single here. Mick Vacations in Santa Barbara. There's this exclusive resort somewhere. I don't know where it is. Down around Montecito. And my one of my good friends from college, college roommate, his brother came down and uh, lived with him the summer between uh, high school and college and got a job at this place called San Ysidro He Ranch. lived with Mick? No, we're getting to Mick, though. He lived with his brother. So he gets a job at San Ysidro Ranch. So he comes home and... <laughs> And his brother says, hey, I was work today. He says, oh, I came around a corner about 1130, and there was Mick Jagger in his pajamas driving a golf cart down the hill at top speed, taking the corner on two wheels, going to get breakfast before they picked it up. Like, they would have taken care of Mick, wouldn't they? Yep, probably, but he was hauling butt down the hill in a golf cart in his PJs. Well, I'm glad he got satisfaction. There it is. Guess who isn't satisfied? Luka Doncic. And when Luka's not happy, guess who's not happy, PK? Mrs. Doncic? (laughs) I don't think there is a Mrs. Doncic. Mr. Cuban. Got to stand up for your star. Even though it was unanimous that they do this new playoff format with 7, 8, 9, 10 in the little three-game tournament to decide the last two spots. Now, in retrospect, it was a huge mistake. You think this is a, a one-year deal, or you think now that the networks are paying for these three games, they're going to keep getting these games, and whoever is in seven, especially if they've you know separated themselves a little bit, and I think that's all Dallas has done to separate themselves a little bit. They've held the seven spot for a long time, but it's not like they're way clear of eight, nine, and ten. Uh, there's always going to be someone complaining about it, and that's just the way it is, and they're going to they're going to keep doing it because I am, uh, sure. I, I am intrigued by things that are being done differently now that are going to stick. I think these two games in three days in one city, I think that's going to stick. They're going to try to minimize travel. Uh, that's fine. I mean, yeah. That doesn't really matter to me. But the playoff thing matters because that's the most important stuff. And I, I don't 100% agree with uh, Luca and Cuban, and I read what they said. Uh, I want to hear what they have to say. Uh, Cuban's... Uh, 
he's a thinker and a creator and an idea guy. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't always agree with it, but it's not about whether I agree with him or not. Uh, I want to hear what he has to say. And to an extent, I agree with him. So I think it's going to stick, but I don't think it needs to stick as it is right now. And I think a ways to incentivize, because if you have a seventh-place team, there's sometimes seventh-place teams are pretty doggone good and have upper Mm -hmm. 40s. And so, in my mind, they deserve to be in the playoffs. So one of the things that I think that you can do is just have eight and or uh, nine and ten play a, a single game, and then have the winner play eight and a two out of three. Or I was thinking about this. You know, you really want your creative. If you're a lousy seventh place team, like we've had years in the East, mm-hmm. I don't want to hear it. If you have to play to have a play into a playoff. And especially if you're not above 500, you got no claim. But if you want to put more stock into the regular season, how about all the teams who get 45 wins in a regular season, you don't have to do the playoff. And that incentivizes the regular season. I think you're onto something there. I like that better than the first idea of altering the series. That there's a number that if you get to, you just play your way out of it. And there's right. a number you're locked in. You don't have to worry about it because the incentive is the key thing. I think a lot of this goes back to the number of games that have been on national TV at the end of the year and the number of games that playoff teams that are fighting for seeding are suddenly playing against teams that aren't even remotely trying. And so they're trying to put some incentive out there so that through the end of the season they'll, right. they'll play their best players. And that's typical. You're a TV guy, so you go to right to TV. Mm-hmm. I don't care about that. I go to Bob and his son – uh, Connor. Yeah, or just bought tickets picked, for the game, and now they yeah. don't get to see the stars. Right. And so they've got the game in a regular season game, in a, re- in a normal regular season. This today would, would most likely be the last day of the regular season. We'd be getting ready for the playoff at the end of the week, right? Yep. So say he buys a ticket, Bob and his son buy two tickets to see whatever team. He likes, ex- he likes Damon Lillard. Uh, for whatever reason, if he's in Salt Lake. And so April 10th, uh, 2023, he buys tickets to that game. But the the Blazers, they don't see any need for, especially if Lillard is going to be a few years older, don't see any need for him to get on a plane and come here into Salt Lake and play that game. So Bob and Connor, they want to go to see the guy, and it's all about the stars in this league. They just wasted that money, and it costs a lot of money for, for some people. For some people, it's not as much money relative to what they make. But for others, it's a huge sacrifice to be able to go to a game. And so because of that, that player isn't playing. And I just used Lillard as an example. I'm not saying that that would happen. So to me, I'm worried about, I'm worried about the upper bowl people. Of course, you're worried about the lower bowl people and the TV networks. Screw them. I don't care about that. I worry about I'm a common guy. I'm a paycheck-to-paycheck paycheck dude. That's who I I'm most concerned about, and you could, and you're right to be concerned about the high rollers because that's what you do. For me, not so much. And so, put it into where you've got to get a certain level of victories. And I think for, if you have 45, I think you're a pretty good team. You know, you're not a great team, but I think in an 82 game season, if you win 45, I think you're a decent team, right? And so, to me, put it if you want to, don't be in that playoff. Get to 45, and you don't have to worry about it. I wonder if they could do some kind of sliding thing, because uh, just like if you get to 45, you don't have to worry about it. 
you know, do you have to get if you get if the tenth place game gets to a certain number, are they guaranteed it? Or could you do something where if you're X number of games clear of the team behind you, because then both teams would be incentivized to keep winning. You know, if you're four five games, I don't know whatever the number would be. Don't overthink if it. If you're now. five games clear, it doesn't happen. Don't overthink it. This is your tendency. No, you gotta overthink it. Because no, otherwise no, you, you end don't. up no you don't. You end up with what you had this year. It's a unanimous vote. Everybody's on board. Yeah, you're on board until you're the team in seventh place and your star player says something. You're like, eh, I better stick up for my now, star player. What's the difference if it was unanimous or not? I mean, if so, so what? Just because I voted for something then and I get new information doesn't mean I'm not allowed to change my mind. Uh, so, whoop de doo it was unanimous vote then. We're not dealing with then, we're dealing with now. So, if you can find a way to improve it and make it better, then do it. And we're, we're told uh, the NBA is progressive. I mean, they certainly tell you enough about how we're on, they're on the right side of history. So how about this? Maybe they can make changes that are for the better. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Next, your greatest call. You knew it was going to happen. You said it. Not many people were with you. But who was right in the long run? You were. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. Working from home with a hybrid workforce? Get a powerful IT partner with Syringa Networks. Call them at 385-420-7881. 385-420-7881. Or visit syringanetworks.net. PK, your greatest call. Something you believed in. Hit us up on Twitter, David DJ James, 855-340-ZONE. Or... Use, the, uh, use our app. Grab your phone. Use our app. Use the open mic. This would be perfect. Send it to Yach. He'll get it on the air. Your or greatest you prediction. Did you What? You just got lucky. Oh, it wasn't a great prediction, but no, it broke I your mean, way? you predicted it, but it, you, it, so you don't know that necessarily believed it, but it happened. <laughs> you took Baylor in your March Madness pool and won your pool, but you just took it because you didn't want to take Gonzaga with everybody else. No, I'll take Baylor. What the heck? <laughs> okay. And then they won it all. Yeah. I've, I've had – this is really tough for me because I've had so many where I've just been right. I mean, it's a burden, but nevertheless, I carry it. Perhaps my greatest – what would you say my greatest is? Uh, Tiger Woods uh, lost on a Sunday by a stroke, and I'm blanking on the guy who beat him Why now. Yang. Yes. And you said he'll never win again. Well, he'll win one more because he's got that much more talent. He'll win one more major because he's got that much more talent. But otherwise, it's done. That was your best. And two years ago today, Tiger won the Masters. <laughs> and I and I just picked him on a whim with my third and final pick. And then Mr. you got to go at Bob with it. He was Mr. Irrelevant for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need a longer draft before we start lobbing around Mr. Irrelevant. There's still there's still golfers in the top ten of the world available when you make your last pick. But still. I picked Tiger, and I can remember it two years ago because it was it was raining like crazy here. It was a crappy day, much like it is today. And they moved the Masters up because they were expecting rain on that final Sunday. So it was played much, much earlier. 
in the morning instead of around four or five o'clock when we for us when we uh, crown a winner. I think it was done by noon, maybe even earlier our time, because they had a storm coming in. And when he won that thing, and I had picked him, oh man, it might have been might have been my greatest luckiest prediction. I've had some instincts where I thought uh, something may happen. I really felt that Stockton was going to requ- retire on locker clean-out day. That was a good one. That was yeah. very specific. Um, everyone thought he was retiring. I mean, the Kings fans gave him a big ovation when he checked out of the game because they thought he was retiring. Yeah. But he's not going to want a press conference, so he's going to do it in a locker room clean-out. It was very Stockton which is why you did it, but it was very, why you said it, but it was very not how Hall of Famers retire. But it was totally him. Right, right. It was one of those deals where I didn't argue with it. As soon as you said it, all that's clicking, and I, I remember calling our assignment desk and saying, hey, this, there's a good chance this is going to happen. Be ready. It was right at the start of... Uh, the web and dot coms, and I don't think we're into social media yet, but you know, get it up on the website, get it up on the website. Yeah, one of those yeah, I deals. Felt the instinct was uh, that was the way he was wanting to basically slip out the door. And although they did have a party for him, I, I know mm-hmm. we were in the suite on that, yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah, uh, hot rod emceed it, and the place was full. Oh, yeah, 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 that was that was sort of cool. It was uh, it was worthy of, of the legend that he was as a ball player for sure. But I thought that, uh, you know, and that, w- that would be more of a celebration, wouldn't necessarily be an emotional moment. And I don't think he wanted that emotional moment. So he just did it, boom, gone. That was it. So uh, that I felt instinctually saying that, that that's the way he was going to go. And I've predicted a few games along the way of things or stuff that people had told me. Like I can remember telling Kyle Whittingham in October – of, uh, You're going to be a head coach. That yeah, that BYU's going to offer you the job because I'd already been told, and it was obvious. It wasn't like uh, it was any big breaking news that Croton was not going to return. I mean, that was my third year, and by then that program was a disaster. Everybody knew it, and I told Kyle on a Saturday morning once uh, that they're going to get they're going to offer you the job. You will be uh, having an opportunity to be a head coach here in about two months, and he was sheepish. I said, "No, this is this is going to happen," <laughs> and, and I didn't know that Urban was going to leave. Then I didn't know he was going to get two job offers, but I thought he was going to get one. And I told him, I told him right to his face on a Saturday morning once, and uh, sure enough, that happened. But I think that was more. If you were around and on the inside of that situation like I was at that time, I don't think that was a great prophecy. I think it was a logical prophecy. You know, there was one uh, that came to pass. This is a little inside info here. We're getting away from the sports scene. Do you want me to give it to you? Sure. Why not? Okay. So BYU's playing in the Vegas Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. So that's December. And they're having an activity at the New York, New York Hotel. And they have they had the ESPN zone. I don't even know if they have them anymore. Uh, and so they gave the kids, basically they had unlimited in the game room. And there was, a, there was a ton of stuff. So it was a fun activity for them. So I'm standing out 
outside overlooking the strip. And this is December of 2006, I think it was. And I'm talking to Alema Harrington. He tells me, <laughs> he says, uh, yeah, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be working at KFAN here in the spring. And we're at 1280 at the time, right? right we're at the, the original zone. I said, what? He says, yeah, uh, they're going to come after you and DJ and you guys are going to be doing the morning show. What? <laughs> <laughs> we had no idea. But he knew. Yes. Alema's connected. Keep it his ear to the ground. <laughs> he, and he just told me, like, hey, how's it going? You're going to be doing this in a few months. <laughs> I never forget it. We're just we're standing outside on one of the balcony deals or whatever they had outside overlooking a strip at the New York, New York. And he just drops it to me like it was so casual and it hadn't even entered my mind. And he was telling me, no, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> like, you can argue with me all you want, but this is what's going to happen. I don't care whether you believe it or not. And my God, goodness what he said came true it came true yeah. yes i'll never forget how he just dropped it on me telling me no this is what they're going to do and you're going to say yes and dj's going to say yes and you're going to come over here and okay. do the morning show do you have a do you have a prediction that came right that you were horrified it did but you knew it was going to but you didn't want it to happen but you knew it would because I got uh, one. I got I, one in my personal life that I'm not going to share. <laughs> okay, but. no, I'm talking in sports. Okay. I, I can, when my dad was still alive and, you know, living in San Diego, huge sports fan, and I'm up here, and the Chargers moved training camp to L.A. It's like, Dad, he wants to go. You don't do this. This is a total slap in the face. He wants to go, but he doesn't have the money to build a stadium here or there. Someone's got to build it for him. And it didn't occur to me that some billionaire would do it privately. I thought it was, you know, whatever city would get together and, and do it. And, uh, but he wanted to go. And who's going to build it? I had no idea Kroenke was going to move the Rams back from St. Louis. I didn't see that part of the equation coming. But horrified it happened, but just this sense of that's what he wants to do, but he can't afford it. So who's going to do it for him? So that was a prediction? Oh, yeah. yeah. Kind of put two and two together? Yep. Yep. In a moment, a play, and I, I got to say, I only got it half right. Um, but I got the important part of it right. The who I didn't get. I just knew it was going to happen. When the Jazz were in the Western Finals with Houston in 97 and Stockton hits the shot, they, um, the Jazz had a big rally. They came from like 10 down in the last three or four minutes, running pick and rolls at Barkley, and Stockton was crushing him in it. And they tied the game up. And Houston has the ball, and they come down, and uh, Drexler is guarded by Russell and is forced to take a really difficult shot, and he misses it. Malone gets a rebound, and they call timeout. And in timeout, I went over to our photographer on the baseline, and I said, I don't know how it's going to happen, but the Jazz are going to score here and win the game. This is not going overtime. I said, you have to be uh, – the, the photographers will sit on in those days. Now they're not shooting on the baseline anymore, but in those days they did, and they would sit in these, like um, – they were soft chairs. It was kind of leveraged. It's hard to explain. It was this little folding thing. But if anyone fell on it, it would be like falling on a pillow. Um, and I said, you got to get up on your knees because they're all going to charge out on the court. And you don't want to shoot the back of this next photographer's head. You want him to shoot the back of your head. And he just kind of nodded. 
And I walked away, and just a few seconds later, he got up on one knee. They come out. They run the play. Stockton hits the shot. And sure enough, the next day, we, we were standing. We were back in Salt Lake, and we were standing at the assignment desk. And they always, have, they always have TVs with one on each of the local stations. In case there's breaking news, you can follow what's going on. And if you're behind, you can, it'll help you catch up, right? This is what's going on. This is what they have, that kind of stuff. And just on an average night, they always log who has the what everybody's lead story is. So we're standing right there, and everybody's replaying it over and over from every angle, right? It's the biggest thing. And sure enough, we see on another station, there's the back of Bill Cortez's head, and we had a good laugh. So I didn't know the player who was going to make it, but you could just feel the momentum they had. They were going to hit a shot and win that game. Most recent, most recent thing I got right, the, uh, the U basketball program wasn't getting better. And I was talking about a change two years ago, and another year, and another year, and it just, it just kept getting worse. So, know some of those guys, and know they've lost their job, and I have lost my job, and it is no fun, and you can't really relish that. It, is really, it really sucks when it happens. <laughs> I don't have words for how bad it sucks. I thought I handled it really well. Like 15 years later, my wife's like, you kidding me? You were a nightmare. Turns out I didn't handle it all that well. You were a nightmare? Complete and total, apparently. Yeah. Hard to believe, isn't it? <laughs> a nightmare? That's yep. strong. That's strong words. A nightmare. You sure it was that bad? I didn't think so, but I was, in, I was informed it was. I was, pretty, I was pretty tense and stressed out. And now look at you. You're just rolling in the gravy. There it is. All gravy all the time. Mm, gravy. Mm. Gravy? Ooh, that's gross. <laughs> gravy, isn't gravy a food that now, I don't know what it used to be like, but it, now if I eat gravy, it's once or twice a year, and it's Thanksgiving or it's Christmas. That's it. And I don't, I don't even think I eat gravy every Thanksgiving and Christmas. But if I do, that would be when. What do you mean? You don't, you don't have it on Thanksgiving? That's what I said, Thanksgiving or Christmas. But you just said, I don't think I eat it every Thanksgiving or Christmas. No, I don't think I do. I don't, I don't think I do eat it every year. I don't. But that's what I'm saying. You don't have gravy, brown gravy every Thanksgiving? Oh, it's probably on the table, but I don't know that I put it on my potatoes every year. God. I would have to say I don't every year. Really? I, sure, yeah. I mean, I, I like it. I can take it or leave it. And I don't no, know. No, 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 You no, have to no. have it. It's not Thanksgiving. Yes. Nah, yes. I, I might put it on if it's there, but I, I might not. It depends. Uh, well, A, if it's there, A, it must be there. <laughs> and B, I must use it. Okay. Well, you're, you're, you're all about your gravy. Well, it's a Thanksgiving staple. Okay, you've never gone to a relative's house for a meal and they haven't had it. Uh, Yak is shaking his head. No, I can definitely say yes that I've been somewhere uh, extended family and and they didn't they didn't have it. I can't say for sure because I can't remember every single one. Yeah. But it is a staple. I'm so, telling you, if I didn't have it, it wouldn't be Thanksgiving. So I'm curious because you've told us about your mom's 
pasta and it was so good and you'd have pasta big big celebrations where other people would think oh we have to have steak we have to have barbecue but your mom is like hey it's going to be italian food that's yes. what she does okay so you would have pasta on thanksgiving as a side dish and still have turkey potatoes gravy cranberry salad blah 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 yes, yes. every every year yes. guaranteed i can't say every year uh, but okay. every year that I remember, because it's impossible for me to remember when I was four. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm only accountable. We're going back 37 years, so I, I don't know that I could remember that. But yes, it was there. But the Thanksgiving, if you so the Italian food was there if you wanted it, right? Yeah. And we and we had it every Sunday growing up. Every absolutely, I had it every Sunday and probably at least one other time during the week. And at no point did I ever complain because she was awesome at it. Absolutely tremendous. People ask me about going out to eat for Italian food. Well, I never did it because why would I do that? I had the best right there. And so, uh, but the Thanksgiving feast would also be there too. And brown gravy has to be there on my potatoes that, or else what's the point of having mashed potatoes? I don't need mashed potatoes dry. No, I, I, I would take it back. I'd get up and walk out. No, absolutely. I've got to have brown gravy. Or that's like not even having turkey on Thanksgiving. Come on. Mashed potatoes and you put the butter right in the middle. No, 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 no. Yeah, I've done that. I've done that. I know, and I've been forced to do it too. (laughs) Forced to do it. (laughs) Yes. Forced, forced. Yes. I just picture. I'm with PK on this. Right, aren't you, Yak? Of course you are. You gotta gotta have gravy. Uh, Put an Instapole out there. You have to have gravy Uh, with the mashed potatoes on Thanksgiving. That is a requirement. You've never gone to to extended family's house and they haven't had it. Not a, not not one. a chance. Not a one. Well, yeah, you're in Utah County though. That's right, living. Right oh yeah, there. that's just yeah, living <laughs> on Utah County. Not blaming. What's that have anything to do with it? What the location doesn't matter. This is you're an American. You can be in Maine all the way down to Chula Vista. DJ, I spent <laughs> Maine to Chula Vista. Why'd you go Imperial Beach? Let's go all the way to the southwest corner. DJ, I spent two years in a certain country called Taiwan, and even Thanksgiving there I had Oh, gravy. really? Yes. Really? Yes. So. Oh, is that, now is that because you're not at somebody's home? Yeah, we were. Oh, you really, really? Yeah. They, they make gravy. Yeah. So you can't. No. Really? In Taiwan? You're, you're wrong on this yeah. one. Well, I mean, I'm not wrong. But you <laughs> I are mean, wrong. I know it happened. <laughs> so I'm wrong. Well, I apologize for whoever did that to Okay. You. You have to go back. I would bring my own little uh, packet. <laughs> you reach into the excuse, jacket pocket. Excuse me for a minute. I'm going to go in the ba- I'm going to go in the kitchen. I real kept quick. this in my jacket pocket up against my body to keep it warm. <laughs> you just tear it open. You squeeze the gravy out. <laughs> if I knew it wasn't going to be there, I would venture to say 95 percent of those folks listening right now would say brown gravy on mashed potatoes for Thanksgiving. It's an absolute must. It's right there. With the stuffing and all the traditionals that you have for Thanksgiving. I had it in Puerto Rico. And I made sure I had my brown gravy. That was I was with the Utes in a basketball tournament. And I've been with the Utes and Cougars in Hawaii on Thanksgiving. And I've been with the Utes in Puerto Rico. I'm pro- I don't know if I was with the Cougars on Thanksgiving. But I know I've been with the Cougars 
in uh, Maui, and I know I was with with uh, because the when uh, the uh, Lavelle's last game, I was covering. I was assigned by the Watchdog to cover the Cougars that year, but I went with the basketball. So I was in a hotel room when Brandon had that pass and they made that great comeback. It was awesome sitting there for Lavelle to have him go out for a winner. I felt bad for Ronnie Mack, of course, but you know it seemed like appropriate to have Coach Edwards and the phenomenal career that he had. And I still had my brown gravy. My my good friends in Puerto Rico, they know how to treat, how to take care of you. Absolutely, it's you've got to have it. It's like I'm not going to have turkey. I'm not going to have corn. I'm not going to have stuffing. Holy freak! It's just another day. It's not Thanksgiving. Tiger and the fire hydrant was that the day after Thanksgiving? Yeah, I think might have see been it all comes of. full circle. Look where we started. Your tiger prediction. Look where we ended. Unbelievable. It might have creeped over into the next night or early in the hours of the morning, but yeah, I think it was because the the news broke on the Friday. I remember. So my greatest luckiest prediction was Tiger winning the Masters two years ago, and I still take some uh, pride in my luckiness and that I believe that will be his last major now obviously with the car accident I mean the chances of him coming back to anything he was that would if anybody could do it though it'd be Tiger if he's going to top himself this would be it well Jill sent this in some people have vegetarian gravy I I don't even know how you would do that what does that mean vegetarian gravy not meat based it It wouldn't be I mean gravy's made out of the you know the drippings from the the turkey and then you add you know, other ingredients, flour, whatever. Uh, all right. DJ and PK, 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. When we come back, Eric Walden, jazz writer for the Tribune. The jazz into the final quarter of the season here, and we will talk with him about the push to the playoffs next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Ron Boone, kind enough to join us. I don't think the Jazz guys should be afraid of any team in the NBA right now, the way they're playing. And I'll tell you what I'm, what I'm enjoying right now, this late in the year, is that most teams now are starting to play the Jazz different than what we saw in the beginning of the year. They're making the Jazz make these adjustments to the point where they're taking away the three-point shot. And so they're staying at home, which means that the Jazz have to do things differently. They have to play in a more of a half-court game, and they're still able to make those adjustments and win basketball games. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ and PK in the morning is brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. We're joined now by Eric Walden, Utah Jazz writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Eric, good morning. How's it going, fellas? It's going pretty well. Jazz are 55 games deep in the season. My math skills tell me there's 17 games left. They're into the final quarter of the season. And I'm curious, as a beat writer who watches all the games, is on so many Zoom calls I can't even count, is there anything you still need to know and learn about this team, or would it be okay with you if the playoffs started next week? Oh, you know... I think honestly, we, we kind of know about this team. Um, that said, like, ideally, you know, they do have 17 games to kind of, you know, hopefully figure out a few problem areas. But I guess the question becomes, you know, after they've played 55, do you think that 17 more are going to, you know, be what it takes to kind of fix the transition defense issues? You know, um, 
are those extra 17 games going to be enough to do something about, you know, the occasional ball stopping issues that we've seen that, that, you know, the first 55 haven't taken care of. Um, I guess theoretically it's possible. And that's the reason why you play 72 instead of 55 this year. But, um, you know, I, I have a hard time believing that, like, we're going to see major shifts in those areas over this next little bit. So 41 and 14, obviously first in the West and all that stuff, first in the league, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but when you hear the knock on this team, well, there isn't a history as far as, you know, with uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron James. They've got a history of winning a title and all that. So, and Kawhi Leonard has done the same over there for the Clippers with other teams. What about their history, if anything, gives you cause for concern, or do you think they've gotten past that, and this is about now, not about relying or basing any opinion on history? You know, I mean, for all the times we've heard that, you know, this this team doesn't have a quote-unquote elite guy, I think, you know, Donovan Mitchell is – is on a sufficient tear, you know, prior to, to what he did in the Thunder game that we could probably kind of discount that, you know, he's, he's going to be their main guy when the going gets tough, when they need a basket. Um, now the question is, you know, people are inevitably going to ask, can he pull it off at the same level that, you know, O'Bron James can, or that, uh, a James Harden or Kevin Durant can. Um, and, and these are valid questions, you know, I mean, the, the nagging question with this team is, can they get it done in the playoffs? And, you know, the obvious answer is, well, until we see it, we don't know. But, um, you know, I'm liking what I'm seeing out of Bogey. We're starting to see him be a little bit more aggressive. Uh, we're starting to see him consistently kind of find alternate ways to score, even when his first two or three jump shots are not necessarily dropping. Um They've got an abundance of options, which is a good thing. And, you know, again, it's going to come down to would you rather have two megastars or would you rather have four guys who are, you know, on that next tier or two down. And, I mean, this is what we're left with. The Jazz are not in a position to to land those megastars. And so we we see them make do with this. And, um, you know, as for whether that's enough, I think I think we're seeing Don take another step this year. Um, but again, it's going to come down to can he do it in the playoffs when the pace slows, when the refs swallow their whistles a little bit more, when the physicality ratchets up. Um, you know, is, is he going to be able to pull it off in that in that kind of situation? I'm struggling to come up with stars who have won it all. Duncan, Magic are the two who come to mind who have won it all without having ever played in a conference final or an NBA final. Usually you have to get deep in the playoffs, lose, learn from it, and come back. Shaq and Kobe had to lose a conference final to the Jazz before they won it all. Jordan lost a couple conference finals to the Pistons before he won it all. And you can go on down the list, all these players. How much does it concern you that this team uh, has gone out in the first round the last two years and... Mike Conley's been to a conference final, but I don't think anybody else has. Yeah, you're right about that. Mike Conley's the only one on this roster who's made it that far. And there's a lot to that. You know, we we come from an era of, of basketball where, yeah, uh, at first it was 
Larry Bird and, and Isaiah Thomas had to lose to him a few times in order to make it with the Pistons. And then Michael Jordan and the Bulls had to lose to them a few times. And, you know, there's a lot to, there's a lot to it, right? Where going through those fires, going through kind of um, the tests of it, you know, seeing what it takes on that next level to kind of elevate your game and, and take that next step. There's something to it. Um, now you can argue that the Jazz having lost, you know, in the first round the last two years and the second round the year before that, they've gotten a little bit of a taste of it. I don't know that, you know, the, the journey needs to necessarily inherently include a stop in the conference finals. You know, it, it might be that this group with having everyone healthy and everyone ready to go, having Boyan Bogdanovich back this year and Don on another level, and if we can get Rudy performing consistently in the postseason, you know, maybe that's sufficient to make that leap. But uh, to your point, yeah, it hasn't happened a ton. I think Jordan Clarkson was on the Cleveland Cavaliers finals yep. team in right. 2018. Yep. That's, that, I forgot about JC with the Cavs, but um, I, I, I want to say that his role there was was fairly limited by the time they got to the it finals, was. so he wasn't getting a ton of minutes. But, yeah, your, your point is correct. No, he wasn't. I'm looking at the uh, player summaries. He only played in two games. Uh, so and at 12 minutes a game, but nevertheless, just just for the sake of accuracy in my old newspaper days, Eric, I'm sure you could appreciate that. I do. I appreciate you keeping me on my toes <laughs> and keeping me honest, which you know are one of those I expect from you, if not necessarily the latter. So always always get to be pleasantly surprised. I'm thinking uh, we, if I'm looking for concerns. You know, you, you talked about individually Donovan Mitchell there, and you listed all the stuff, uh, refereeing and just the nature of the games and the playoffs, and it's all legitimate. And he does have to answer those questions, and the team has to answer the questions in the postseason because there is somewhat of a disbelief or an unbelief in this team as far as that they can do what they're doing now in the postseason. And one of those things, rather than focus individually, is collectively is the three-point shooting because the pressure ramps up literally and mentally in the playoffs, as we've seen that. So how do you think the three-point shooting will be able to put the, uh, succeed, I guess? How good will they be in terms of making three-pointers? Because it's clear they're going to need to make them in a the postseason. Right, yeah. And, and what, a, what a time for that question, given that, you know, we've seen the Jazz recently go through a stretch of, you know, 11 for 44 and 12 for 42. And, you know, I think they had three or four games where they, three and a half games probably we'll call it, where they really were just pretty pedestrian behind the arc. And some of that, you know, they attributed to changing defenses. You know, teams are becoming a little more committed to running them off the line and then running shots. Some of it they just attributed it to, you know, a random variance where, you know, uh, it was inevitable that there was going to be some downturn in their efficacy from beyond the arc, and it just so happened that, you know, it was those games consecutively. But, um, you know, there's a reason that people say live by the three, die by the three, right? I mean, if not for missing 27 consecutive three-pointers, 
in a, in a conference finals game. Maybe we were looking at the Houston Rockets being NBA champions one year and, and not having had to uh, detonate that entire franchise. So there's something to it, um, especially given that, you know, we've seen Jordan Clarkson really kind of tail off in terms of three-point shooting recently. We've seen Bogey be up and down. Uh, Donovan got up to 40% and then had a few rough games there. So it's, it's a valid criticism. I guess the question is, you know, do they ultimately just trust what got them there and, and figure that, um, you know, this is what they've been doing all year long? They're on pace. Set an NBA record for threes attempted and threes made this year. So for better or worse, this is their identity, and, and it's, it's what they're rolling with. Eric Walden joining us, jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. So there is a, a lot of emphasis on the standings, the race, get the top seed, and that all sounds good, home court advantage, especially when you get to play at elevation. Uh, but if the Lakers are sitting in that 4-5 uh, series and a potential second round or probable second round opponent. Do you really want the top seed? Do you think they'll tank <laughs> games to avoid it? Is it much ado about nothing because you either get out of the West or you don't, so you don't care what round? Where do you come down? And all, all those questions, you know them all. Go ahead. Go. Yeah. A few of us B writers were actually kind of discussing this yesterday, you know, kind of trying to project how the, how the standings might work out and how the seedings might work and who might be seeing who in the second round and here's what it comes down to um they're going to be seeing a really good really tough team in the second round almost assuredly um so i don't know that it does you a ton of good to tank especially because uh with the play-in tournament as it is right now um (laughs) their chances of getting out of the first round uh, as they stand, are, are a lot better if they remain the number one seed and you wind up with, say, uh, Memphis or, or someone like that being your first-round opponent as opposed to you know, Dallas or Portland um, if, you, if you drop down to the two or, or three seed. So, you know, they could be playing the Lakers in the second round. They could be playing the Clippers in the second round. I suppose maybe it's a little advantageous now to face the Nuggets in the second round, perhaps, with with Jamal uh, Murray's horrible injury. But, um, you know, I I don't think they're going to be uh, actively tanking to avoid a matchup this year. You know, clearly that was something they did last year, uh, feeling like he had the capacity to knock off Denver in the bubble. And, you know, but for but for Bogey being out and but for one last pitch, Mike Conley shot rimming out, uh, they were going to. This time around, I think it probably makes more sense for them to simply uh, try to get home court advantage all the way through the playoffs because this team is really, really good at Vivian Arena. It, it makes a legitimate difference in how they play, and I think – having as many games as they can there is, is ultimately going to be the biggest factor for them. You think they got something in Brantley or no? Or you don't know? <laughs> that's that's another great question, right? Like, he was the guy who, out of their, their trio of second-round picks a year ago, if you had asked me at the time who's the most likely to, to stick, you know, I think most of us would have uh, predicted him. And, you know, since then we've seen 
Mieoni kind of be the guy, although last night that wasn't really the case. You know, Mieoni played seven minutes because Jarrell Brantley was simply uh, better out on the court than he was in, in this particular matchup. I think there's something there. Uh, I, I don't think it's a ton yet. I think he still is pretty kind of wildly inconsistent and, and a little bit underdeveloped at this point, but there's some intriguing skills for sure. I mean, you've got a guy who's who's six foot five and who's thick, you know, who's built, but who's got some some guard skills. He's got the ability to hit some threes, to put the ball on the floor, to grab some rebounds. There's something there. The, the question is going to be, you know, is, does a team that's this good uh, have the ability to give minutes to a guy like that consistently. Uh, he probably more than anyone was was hurt by the fact that there were only a handful of G League games this year because uh, that really would have done him some good to play a full season with the Stars. Eric Walden, jazz writer for the Salt Lake Tribune, joining us. Uh, the Jazz have the uh, the best record. Do you consider the healthy Lakers the best team, or have you got another favorite in the West? Yeah, I mean, LeBron and LeBron and Anthony Davis are are, are absolute game changers. Um, you know, which is not to say the Lakers don't have their flaws. Uh, I saw I saw someone post a stat on Twitter last night that out of the eleven thousand plus individual seasons that have been played by someone who's put up as many shot attempts as Wes Matthews, that uh, only about like fifty or so had a worse shooting percentage uh, in that time that than he did. So turns out not everything they do turns to gold. You know, we've we've seen Dennis Schroeder have his ups and downs there to the point now that, you know, uh, this this no doubt extension we thought he was going to get is up in the air. We've seen Montrez Harrell have some issues. Um, we've seen Mark Gasol have some issues. I mean, they had enough issues at the big man spot that but they felt compelled to go out and add Andre Drummond at the at the deadline, um, or rather on the buyout market post-trade deadline. But, you know, they're not a perfect team, but until somebody knocks those guys off, um, you have to consider them the favorites. I guess the question with, with them is, you know, can you count on Anthony Davis to be healthy consistently? You know, he's a guy who throughout his career – has been kind of consistently banged up, nicked up. He's always seemed to got something going on. Um, but then again, you know, if he can get right for the playoffs and, and put it together for those 16 games, they're awfully tough. So, um, yeah, I think Phoenix doesn't have the experience. I think the Clippers probably, you know, while, while Kawhi and uh, Paul George are incredible, they've got some deficiencies. So, you know, as great as the Jazz have been and as likely as they are to finish with the one seed, uh, I, I think we have to say that, yeah, the Lakers are the postseason favorites if those two guys are back on the court and playing well. And you just hope if the Jazz should get through these teams in the West that they don't face the Wizards in the final, right? <laughs> yeah, so long as they can avoid the Washington Wizards in the NBA Finals, they've got a shot. <laughs> Twenty and thirty-three, six and two against the big dogs: Lakers, Clippers, Jazz, Nets. Fourteen and thirty-one against everybody else. The NBA makes no sense. Yeah, there's there's a lot to that this year. It's 
you know, I, I saw another stat that um, the Jazz had like kind of the lowest margin of winning of any first place team in the league since um, I, I forget who the previous team was, but it was um, the lowest margin of winning against fellow top teams of any team in, in about 20 or 30 years. So it's just, it's just crazy all the way around, you know, who knows how it's going to turn out. Um, we're starting to see players say, Hey, you know, did you home or get hurt because we're playing this, this truncated schedule because we're cramming all these games into such a short amount of time. Uh, we've seen it turn into load management in the extreme for some squads. We've seen it turn into, um, you know, that, that's been one of the criticisms of the Jazz's record. Yeah, they've won a lot of games, but a lot of them have been against, you know, uh, the Brooklyn Nets holding out Kevin Durant and James Harden and Kyrie Irving and all of that, you know. So what it all means, I don't know. But, um, you know, I guess to that point, yeah, let's just cancel these remaining 17 regular season games and, and get the playoffs started. We've seen all we need to, right? Well, that just brought this segment full circle. Way to go. Well done. Good work, Eric. This is why I'm the talented newspaper journalist that I am. <laughs> All right, well, we will let you go. We appreciate a few minutes uh, and uh, look forward to uh, reading you when the Jazz get going again Friday and Saturday. All right. We'll uh, talk later, guys. Thank you, Eric. Eric Walden, Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. DJ and PK coming up. NFL Draft Talk, Thor Nystrom's going to join us, college football and NFL Draft Writer for NBC Sports Edge. He's coming up in 15 minutes. Stay with us. The Big Show Show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. North Texas softball pitcher Hope Trawine. She threw, well, a perfect game would be nobody gets on base, right? What's a perfect game if you strike out everybody? 21 consecutive strikeouts. And she didn't get to three balls once. Yeah, but did she suffer any foul balls? <laughs> 21 consecutive <laughs> no, strikeouts. No, she didn't on. get to three balls hold once. On. Look, I'm just saying, maybe she struck everybody out, but if batters were fouling the ball off left and right, then they were this close. What? I'm just beside myself right now. I don't know what to do. Just kidding. That's a a terrific accomplishment. Were there any foul balls? (laughs) Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Get your foursome together and sign up today for the Dyslexia Center of Utah Charity Golf Tournament. Join the fun May 13th at Cedar Hills Golf Course. 100% of the proceeds go to the Dyslexia Center Scholarship Fund. Space is limited. Find out more at dyslexiacenterofutah.org. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Utah Jazz getting the win last night, and PK... It was, uh, some people are now objecting to the use of the word lackluster performance in beating the Outman Thunder. (laughs) Screw them, that's what I say. (laughs) And why do you say that? Because it was somewhat of a lackluster performance early on. They were down 17 in the first quarter. And then the next, the guys uh, were nervous. The next uh, 25 to 30 minutes were all jazz all the time. Well, I wouldn't have thought Lou Dort would go for 42. Right? It was a very, it looked a lot like Donovan's game as far as the flow of the points. On, you know, Monday, Donovan had the big first quarter and the big fourth quarter, and Lou Dort had an awesome first quarter. I think he had 18 at the end of the quarter. Yeah. But he was a 22 at halftime, and really the Thunder just, not just Lou Dort, but anyone struggled to score in the third quarter. 
And that was when the Jazz blew the game open. And oh, I think it was a 13-point quarter. No, 16-point quarter for the Thunder. And then he, you know, he picked up some points in the fourth quarter and got to 42. But that, that was the fourth quarter was garbage time. That was a 20-point game. Yeah, I like the Jazz third quarters. I mean, for whatever reason, they've been really, really lighting it up in the third quarter. I, I don't know if it's adjustments. I don't know if they need to take the flow of the game. But that's something that you have to be, I don't want to say concerned about, but be aware about because I don't know how much that's going to fly in the postseason. And it is all about the postseason right now, obviously. I mean, just talking to Eric Walden here, it's like, do we really have to go through these next 17 games? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. Our body clock tells us the playoffs should be starting now yeah. for all those years. And for two years now, we're not going to have it. Uh, one of the guys we've had on the show for a number of times, Andy Bailey, put out a tweet. Let's see which I wanted to see what you thought of this. Utah's 1-6 and six when Mitchell takes at least 25 shots. And then obviously they would be 30-40-8, or 40 and eight, I think, if the math uh, turns out right in the other games. Is there something there? Yes, I think there is. Okay, what is it, though? I think it's a couple things. One, they're better when everyone is involved and has it going. It goes back to what Eric just said in the last segment. And, you know, would you rather have two stars who dominate or four guys? Well, I think you'd rather have the two stars. NBA history is pretty clear on that. But that's not what the Jazz have. What the Jazz have at their best is when the mixer is going, the ball is moving, and the defense can't possibly rotate fast enough, and they get somebody a wide-open shot. When that doesn't happen, and when they get late in the clock, then Donovan has to create because he's one of the few guys who's going to break people down and he gets more shots. So I think usually when he's taking more shots, it's a sign that the offense hasn't been good enough to get the early shot that they're looking for. All right, so it certainly isn't necessarily on Mitchell individually. I think it's more a statement of how the you know they probably aren't running at that point. Um, you they know, probably they, aren't winning at that point. They, no, absolutely, I put that on the list too. Yeah, when they get the ball in transition, as as and Quinn has probably told us fifty times, we need to do that. We need to do that. We need to do that. Well, it's a lot of different guys scoring when they're getting shots up in the first six seconds. Whether it's all the way for a layup or whether somebody's getting to the three point line wide open, it, it can be anybody at that point. But when you're late in the shot clock, it's going to be Donovan a lot of the time. And when you're late in the shot clock, you're operating out of a position of weakness. I don't think it's a stereo. If you're looking at that saying, oh, some nights Donovan just decides to shoot a lot, I don't think that's how it works. You know, I think that's part of his slow starts. He doesn't decide to shoot a lot early on and tries to, you know, the old Jordan thing, get everybody involved. I think it's a sense of urgency where he feels like mm-hmm. I've got to get this team back. Yes. And I, it's on me to do it. Yep. So I'd be interested in those seven games. Uh, what were the circumstances mm-hmm. as far as like six, seven minutes to go in the game? Yeah. What was the score? How much were you behind? Yeah. What, I think you're onto something there, right? And, and pull, so, that, pull, dig deeper into that number and see if he took uh, 15 of his 25 shots in the last six minutes because they were down by 10. And then are we going to look and find it's a lower scoring game? And are we going to look and find it's a game where they didn't score in transition? You know, and start looking at all those things. And I think that's why we've seen these staffs swell, because I think coaches, you know, in the Sloan era, they had a sense of that. Now they have the people to actually dig out those numbers and precisely know for a fact. And it may confirm what they already guessed, but they they don't want to be guessing. They've got the league is awash in money, and they want to confirm that stuff. 
And that's why they got analysts digging all kinds of stuff like that. Those numbers and other numbers that you and I aren't even considering. But I'm sure that the Jazz Brass knows, you know, what percentage of shots uh, Donovan takes late in the clock, what percentage he takes out of the team's total attempts by quarter. I'm, I think they dig. I think they got people digging into all, all that stuff and stuff you and I haven't even thought up yet. Yeah. So, all right, DJ and PK, it's 97. But I think the bigger point, the bigger point is true. The bigger point is accurate. And I think you can watch games and kind of watch that flow in a box score during the timeout and think, okay, they're in trouble or they're not. You know, there are a lot of times that Thurl will say, hey, they're up by five. You know, and they weren't up by many at halftime, but was Lou Dort going to continue to dominate the way the game, the way he did for eight to 10 minutes in that first quarter? You know, you would think not. And it turned out to be not. And he still got 42. It goes back to what you said. They, they just didn't have anything around him. They got end-of-the-bench guys or not end-of-the-bench guys around him. So, And that's why yesterday um, Barry Trammell came on and said they're bringing a water pistol to this fight. Well, there you go. He was right. DJ PK coming up next, NFL Draft. Thor Nystrom, lead college football and NFL Draft writer for NBC Sports Edge, joins us next. Stay with us. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We are joined now by Thor Nystrom. He writes for NBC Sports Edge. Covers the NFL Draft, lead college football writer. Thor, good morning. How are you doing, gentlemen? Doing well. As you know, Zach Wilson's climb up the draft board has been met here in Utah by uh, smiles and high fives from the BYU faithful and snorts of derision from Ute fans and Utah State fans. The rivalry's Ray John here. And I'm curious because if he goes number two to the Jets, like everyone seems to think he is, you know, they'll win, they'll lose, people will judge him. But the Jets have been uh, more a mess than not for a long period of time. And I'm curious if that is a franchise a quarterback should want to go to. Obviously, they've been shaking things up now with the leadership. How much faith do you have in the Jets going forward? Um, that's, man, that's a tough question historically to ask anyone. Um, probably not the most just because of, you know, where they've been and whatnot. And, and, you know, as as far as the the decision with, with Wilson, fascinating, right? I mean, like you had to pay a prohibitive cost to do that transition from, from Sam Darnold to, to Wilson, right? Like you got a second round pick and a couple of ancillary picks later on once, but now you're going to be, you know, I mean, they would have gotten an absolute boatload for that second pick if they'd gone the other way. So, it, I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating decision. For me, uh, there's a little bit too much risk in Wilson's profile for me personally to have been willing to pay that price. But I certainly understand what, you know, where they're coming from. Uh, you don't see players with, with that kind of an arm come into the league every year. You know, it's just, it was lasers everywhere. You know, I mean, the, the jump up he took, I, I, I would understand wanting to uh, sort of stake the future of my franchise on that arm, for sure. So it looks like the emphasis on quarterbacks has never been greater. And there's five guys. We talked about Wilson and Lawrence and Fields and Mac Jones and Trey Lance. So those five, at what pick in the first round do you think we will get to and have all those five guys be gone? That's a really interesting question. So, you know, Schefter reported uh, a couple weeks ago that there'd be four in the top seven. It seems like that's just about a lock right now. Um, I would say, you know, as, as the board is presently constituted, you would almost think that nine would, would be the floor for the fifth one, right? Like, 
because whether it's Atlanta or Detroit for the uh, fourth one or, you know, trade up iteration, et cetera. Um, and then you have Denver, you know, at the ninth slot if they have not moved up. So I, I would think that that would be where five would, would go off the board. Um, but even, you know, outside of that, if there, if there's moves and stuff like that, worst case scenario for any of those guys, I, I just don't see how they would even drop to the Patriots at 15, which is what you would usually think of as, as sort of the floor for these guys. That that would be the absolute, absolute nightmare for, for the fifth one. But um, right now, nine realistically might be the floor for the fifth one. So if you already have your quarterback and you're drafting in the top nine and you see some of the players who are there, you must be drooling thinking, well, you don't need a quarterback. Let these guys fight over the quarterbacks. We got our guy. And to add Pitts to your receiver core or to add Sewell to your offensive line, it seems like these other teams that aren't drafting quarterbacks aren't getting talked about, but it seems like if they don't trip over themselves or if they don't get crushed by injuries because that can wreck anybody's career in the NFL, they're, they're going to they're gonna do great. They're really going to make out in this draft. Yeah, it, it, that's a really good point. Um, you know, starting with Atlanta, for instance, you know, like a, a team that if they don't take a quarterback, you, you just have Kyle Pitts, right? Like, it, I mean, it's who I would take. Um, but outside of Pitts, who is, is a generational unicorn-type talent at his position, you have a couple other guys like that. Uh, for me, Penny Sewell is like that. He, he's the best offensive lineman that I've evaluated in the last five years. So I put him above, you know, the, I mean, like the, a priority player, right, in the, in, in the top ten. Jamar Chase is one of the best receivers we've had come out in the last couple of years as well. And so your, your point is very well taken where, yes, this is a very good quarterback class in, in the same way and, and maybe even some inside the NFL would perceive it as a bit better than our last five quarterback first round. You know, the, the one with, with Mayfield and Allen and Rosen and, and Lamar Jackson, et cetera, and Darnold, I, I, I suppose. Um, this one is, is going to end up, in terms of draft equity, more investment in the five quarterbacks. Because, I, like I just said, I don't think the last one is falling to, to the 32nd slot like Lamar Jackson did. And the manifestation of that is, these other three, four, five, you know, however many you want to put in that group of players at other positions that are not only the best players at their position this year, but if you put them into a bucket of the last three or four or five, where they would also be at the, at the top of the class. And Sewell is one of the, for me, you know, and, and Pitts for sure, if you put it the last decade at a bucket, um, they're either going to come out at the top or, or near it. And so, again, your point's very well taken where th- this this rat race to get up the board to take all these quarterbacks, the, the natural offshoot of it is that it's going to push some of those guys maybe just a little bit lower uh, down the board. You know, whether they drop a slot or two lower or whether it's, you know, four or five slots lower, there's going to be very good deals to be had for some of those teams that are not looking for quarterbacks in the top 15. So we pretty much have Lawrence 1, Wilson 2. Uh, number 3 is the Niners, and obviously they've made some moves there. And we suspect a quarterback, but we don't know which one. Which one do you think they would take? Yeah, so right now, I, I think with the tea leaves, you you would just have to go chalk with Mac Jones, even though, you know, for me, like, when, when that news came came out that the Niners were trading up and that all the rumors started with Mac Jones, my, my initial reaction was, I will believe that the 49ers take Mac Jones when, when, when Roger Goodell states his name, you know, being right off of a card um, on, on that last Thursday night in, uh, of this month. But since then, you know, it, it wasn't just the initial smoke, which is sort of mysterious as is, you know, just that, uh, you know, basically the quarterback that everyone agreed was fifth was this guy that, that, that a team had traded 
three first-round picks and a third-round pick to move into the third slot to take as, as the third quarterback. Um, but then the, the reports that we saw after that, it, it, it has confirmed it even more because, you know, it wasn't just like, you know, for instance, Chris Sims, one of my colleagues, he, he is a friend of, of, of Kyle Shanahan and the Shanahan family, et cetera. He was one of the ones saying it like right away. Um, but then in the week after that, uh, in the weeks after that, um, Adam Schefter reported that the 49ers were going to take uh, Mac Jones. And then we saw um, uh, Peter King recently said, uh, this is in a, his column on Monday. He said that decision hasn't been made, but he would assume that the, the you know that right now the, the pick is is Mac Jones. And then in you know mock drafts around the industry from the respected sort of industry indicator guys like Mel Kiper, you know you're starting to see him slotted in there. And then you know for the, the last piece of it is in terms of Vegas odds, Mac Jones before that trade occurred wasn't even in the stratosphere for the, you know, the, the, the top guys in terms of favor to go with the third pick. Um, it was up to minus like 225 for Mac Jones to be the third pick earlier this week. It's now like closing in on minus 350. So it's like, it, it, he's, certainly he's not in the odds range of like Trevor Lawrence is like minus, you know, 50,000 to be the first pick. And, and Zach Wilson at this point is like minus 10,000. But he, he's like certainly creeping up uh, that way in, 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 in terms of that. So it, it's something that, you know, that's what I think is, is, is going to happen barring a, a last second change. We could get one, though. Uh, the 49ers are going to be at Justin Field, the second throwing session this week. And next week they're going to Trey Lance's second throwing session and it, you know maybe who knows what well, we will end up seeing but it's like you know it's sort of like the you know the bachelor show uh, on abc when like during fantasy suite week you have the last date with the bachelor and like that's like an important thing or whatever the, the last impression trey lance is going to get that um and so i i would almost think if it's not mac jones it, the the surprise or the audible would be to trey lance as opposed to justin field but this is all conjecture. There's only two guys that know what's going to happen there, and and Shanahan and, and John Lynch aren't telling anybody. Thor Nystrom joining us, lead college football and NFL draft writer for NBC Sports Edge. So let's flip it around for the quarterbacks and also for the guys like Pitts and Sewell who are top ten picks. You want to go higher because your money gets better, but you also want to go to an organization that's got a chance of winning. Now, the Niners are up high because they're coming off a bad year, but they were just in a Super Bowl, too, so the organization doesn't look so messed up. If you're a player, which teams do you want to go to, and which organizations do you absolutely want to avoid? I would say, like, in this class, if I was a top-ten pick, you know, especially like, you know, we were just talking about like, you know, the teams that don't need a quarterback and then some of these unicorn prospects. If I was one of them, the team that I would want to go to is the Dolphins because of how well they have set themselves up, mostly because of Laramie Tunsil. And honestly, you go back to Laramie Tunsil's stepfather, put, putting out the, the pictures, you know, the, the morning of the draft or, you know, the, the night of his draft that pushed Tunsil down the board and to the Dolphins and then allowed them to accrue all of these picks first from the Texans, you know, in the, in the trade for him and then. Of course, in, in this trade, you know, the, the most recent one dropping from the third slot that had been the Texans, picking up the two future picks from the, the, the 49ers, they have the quarterback in two. I, I believe in him a little bit more than the, the fans do there. Let, let's get him some receivers and, and, and see how that pans out. Um, but it's not just him. Like, they've already started to fortify that, that roster in a very real way. Numerous positions. We saw how they, they improved this past season. Multiple first-round picks this year, multiple first-round picks next year, multiple first-round picks 
the year after that. Um, and, and so that would be a team that, that I would look at because not only that, you have the rookie quarterback under the rookie deal. As we know, that is your window. It, you know, it, you know, outside barring having Tom Brady, you know, that then that just becomes your window. But outside of that, like, you know, teams are looking to hit on these these rookie quarterbacks because then for five years you get them at this cap, you know, price that is severely depressed against what it otherwise would be if, if they were on the free market. The, the, the difference in those two figures, that's a real tangible thing that, that improves your roster. It's just money you can delineate to other positions. I think they're in a really good position going forward, the Dolphins. Outside of Sewell, who else do you like in the Pac-12 will be your next prospect? Not necessarily the first round. I don't think there's going to be one. But is it somebody like Little from Stanford? You know, Little Little concerns me a little bit. Um, you know, just just in terms of the profile, having, having really not played for a couple of seasons. But he's fascinating, you know, just, just as like in, in terms of like, uh, you know, sort of the biggest band between what he could become and what his floor is there's almost not a bigger band in the class that, that Walker Little because he really could turn into a perennial all-pro. Has all the tools, has the athleticism, um, you know, I mean, like, and he knows what he's doing. You know, the, the technical acumen is the reason that he was, like, you know, one of the top recruits in Stanford history. Um, but but just because the injuries and having not played the, uh, you know, and, and when he initially played there, you know, he was a young kid and there was some issues with, with power and speed, but there always is when, when you're, you know, a freshman playing in, you know, the power five or whatever. So he, he's a really fascinating one for me. Um, as, as far as the other, I'm, I'm trying to think, um, you know, j- just in terms of Pac-12 prospects, who else I'd like, I, I haven't stacked my board yet. Um, but yeah. Uh, Jay, Jay Tufele of uh, USC, who's a local kid here, played his high school in Salt Lake. Yeah. Yeah. Another really interesting kid. And, and USC, you know, interestingly enough, like, um, you know, I, I, I've, I've sort of begged on Clay Helton. A lot of people have the, the, the past few years, but like you start to look at now the guys coming into the draft, you know, which are actually classes that were manifested from Clay Helton um, starting to get a lot better, right? Like in, in this class, it's not just him. It's the kid he plays next to inside there. Um, they have a linebacker in the class. They have a couple defensive backs. Um, and the offensive fire – well, and, of course, they have Amonra St. Brown's in this class too. Tyler Vaughn's way later down. Probably won't get drafted. But then, you know, going forward, um, you know, Keaton Slovis and, and, and all the guys that they have on offense, like you're just going to see them start to um, – you know, USC sort of have a, a resurgence there. But, yeah, as, as far as the USC kids, like on, on the interior, I like both of them. You know, I mean, like – and they, they both do different things. Um, you know, as far as Tufa, he it was like I think he tested like as a 65th percent uh, size adjusted athlete, um, and I actually thought he was going to test a little bit better, to be honest with you, because he moves very well. You know, in, in short quarters, like he, he's a hard kid for for offensive linemen to sort of square up, get you know, get their hooks into. Um, he, he's a guy that could be very disruptive. He just needs to, you know, and you guys probably know, he just needs to play with a little bit more, you know, discipline, a little bit more under control, you know, mind his technique a little bit more as opposed to just, like, I, I'm coming to you guys from Minneapolis. We, we had a couple defensive linemen that were sort of in this vein um, over over the years, uh, John Randall being the, the very, very best version of it. But we also had a, a guy named Chris Hovan who was just sort of a wild guy uh, on the inside and the better he got at his technique, the more it played up sort of his quirky movements, you know, because it, it, it's not just the, the ability to sort of like 
you know, have, I, I suppose, in draft parlance, twitch in, in short quarters. It's, it's also that ability to uh, mentally and psychologically keep the, the offensive lineman off of your movements by being unpredictable as well. And Hovind was really good at that. That's something I see in Tufo. Um, you know, and so, like, you know, if, if, if he can keep working on that, like I said, I, I think it just would play up, um, you know, sort of how he plays in general – if there's just a little bit more technique, a little bit more discipline, I, I think he bounces up a little bit as a player. So if you were drafting late in this draft, there's usually a game changer in the late first round who then, you know, does great. You got any favorites in there? Somebody who's going to slide late in the first round, which is still an excellent spot, but they go to a good team. They don't have the hype of the guys at the top of the draft, but they got better players around them and a chance to shine. You got somebody you're circling in that area of the draft that we should all watch? As, as you're explaining that, the name that, that jumps to the front of my mind is Rashad Bateman. He, you know, the, the Minnesota receiver actually from, you know, the, the city I'm coming to you guys from. But he, he has been, you know, sort of nitpicked uh, throughout, um, you know, starting like last season and then into this season. He was looked at as, you know, maybe not the best athlete. Um, and then last season he had to play the slot, which he was forced into after Tyler Johnson left the team. Bayman was one of the best outside receivers in, the, in college football in 2019. Last year he gets pigeonholed into this role that he wasn't comfortable with on short notice, you know, basically with the truncated offseason, et cetera. Um, and then Minnesota had all these other issues on offense. But Bayman acquitted himself fine. It's just that he wasn't in his, you know, his, his most ideal position, which is as an X receiver on the outside. Because what he's best at, it's his route running and his play strength. Is, is how he, he always has separation. Um, and then his ball skills are awesome, right? And so, like, for me, he's a very polished guy who's immediately going to come in, be a starting outside receiver. And I think he has very, very high, um, a very, very high ceiling. Like, you, you saw it in 2019 when, when, when he was just a young kid, a, a true sophomore. Um, again, like, statistically, by any measure, uh, one of the nation's best outside receivers, he's going to drop to a team um, that, that badly needs him. I, I think, like, you know, whether it's Baltimore, and I think he would be a great fit with Lamar Jackson, certainly a much better fit than Hollywood Brown. You know, a, a guy with a very small catch radius that, that you're, you're pairing with a guy who, you know, one of the great scramblers, of course, in, in NFL history and has a very good arm, but sort of similar to Trey Lance in this class. The, the one issue, of course, with, with uh, Jackson, it's just about placement and, and accuracy. You know, and of course, in his case, it, it wasn't disqualifying at all. Uh, but, you know, in, in matching with Lamar Jackson's game, I want a guy with a bigger catch radius um, that, you know, can use his frame at the catch point, you know, if, if, if he needs to go and get balls outside of his frame, et cetera, and that is always open in the intermediate area. And that, that's Rashad Bateman. He's going to catch all the balls downfield. You know, he, he turns 50-50 balls more into like 80-20 balls. And then, you know, downfield. And then in the intermediate area, like I said, just always open because of his footwork. Like he's one of those guys, if you watch him, like if you watch the defensive backs, he, he's the guy that always gets them their feet crossed up or he gets them, um, my favorite thing watching his film, was when he would uh, clown a guy so bad that they would actually have to do a pirouette to, to catch back up to him to, to gain them their momentum. So, like, he can get defensive backs doing all kinds of crazy keystone top things, falling over themselves just because of his footwork. I, I think Bateman goes to a team, uh, you know, a veteran team like you mentioned that, that um, you know, doesn't have as many needs, but maybe one of their big needs is, is, is for a potential true number one receiver. And I think he helps that team immediately and is a, is a long-term uh, impact player. Well, it'll be intriguing to watch this play out. Thor, thanks for coming on and giving us a few minutes this morning. We appreciate it. 
Gentlemen, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Lead college football writer and NFL draft writer for NBC Sports Edge, there's Thor Nystrom talking NFL draft. We'll get you up to speed next on everything you missed in this show. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. North Texas softball pitcher Hope Trotwine. She threw, well, a perfect game would be nobody gets on base, right? What's a perfect game if you strike out everybody? 21 consecutive strikeouts. And she didn't get to three balls once. Yeah, but did she suffer any foul balls? <laughs> 21 consecutive <laughs> no, strikeouts. No, she didn't get on. to three balls hold once. On. Look, I'm just saying, maybe she struck everybody out, but if batters were fouling the ball off left and right, then they were this close. What? I'm just beside myself right now. I don't know what to do. Just kidding. That's a, that's a terrific accomplishment. Were there any foul balls? <laughs> Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Durant in a post-up. Draws a double out to Chioza. Pump fake. Moves it left. Finds Durant. A deep three. And hits. George. Crossover on Sabonis in the lane. Put it up. Put it in with a left hand. PG-13 with 30 points. And we're not even through this third quarter with 4.50 to play. McCollum reaching for the ball. Four on a shot clock. It's got to be Tatum. Stepping to his right. Tough three. Got it! (laughs) A dagger from Jason Tatum! Do you have any thoughts about him are you an a-rod fan at all growing up or anything like that what you think about what he might bring to the team a fan what do you mean like who is he the baseball player alex rodriguez yeah no nah, i don't know okay i know he's gonna be the owner but i don't i don't i don't know nothing about baseball a-rod who are you that's anthony edwards minnesota timberwolves he doesn't know nothing about baseball ooh, 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 ooh. i really want to know <laughs> he looked like he didn't care. Whatever. He's going to be the owner. Yeah. Uh, he's 19 years old. Doesn't turn 20, I think, until the summer. Grew up in Atlanta. Uh, it's an issue, man. It's an issue. I think that's a, it's a greater issue. I'm su- I would suspect somebody will write a story on why we have such a paltry amount of African-Americans playing baseball. Last and, number I saw is about 8% of Major League rosters were African-Americans. That's yeah, way that's down. way down, way down from where it was through the '60s, '70s, and that's '80s. A shame. I mean, there's no question in that in that community that baseball has taken a major hit, and a lot of it is financial too, because of uh, the the comp teams and all that stuff. I mean, starts at was, an early age. When I was going to ASU, I mean, there was several stud African Americans who went on and played in the major leagues, and and they were my classmates. And now you look at these college teams, and they're virtually all white, practically. Uh, it's it's an issue. It's a sad issue for those of us who love baseball. So I, I suspect somebody's going to take that comment and run with it rather than, oh, just a young kid who doesn't know what an old-timer, who an old-timer is. I think it runs a little deeper than that, and somebody somewhere is going to pick up on it. If, you, uh, if you're uh, into this issue and want to read more, Sports Illustrated, I think, did the definitive piece on it probably about 15 years ago, and you can – Sure, a Google search will yield it in the archives out there somewhere. It lives somewhere in some corner of the uh, World Wide Web. Uh, but it was great. They, they came up with like, I don't know, it was about a dozen different issues that have just really changed everything. Just over two generations, so much has changed. 
Uh, basketball, we talked a lot about the Jazz this morning. Uh, there was very little drama as they beat the Thunder, and the Thunder got off to a 17-point lead, and yet the roster was so decimated, and one guy was doing so much of the damage, and it's hard for one guy to carry a team for 48 minutes. And Lou Dort's a really good player, and great job by Oklahoma City to find him and help him develop, and credit to him and all that. But how can he carry that group for 48 minutes? Sure enough, the Jazz went on an 8-0 run, and led in the second quarter and blew the game open in the third quarter. It was like that never happened, PK. It just, that just vanished into thin air. Well, I'm glad from the Jazz perspective that it did happen because the younger dudes, and Brantley being one of them, uh, get some meaningful minutes as opposed to just garbage minutes where you come in and do your thing. Get minutes where we need you to produce. It's not just we're playing out the clock, and so nobody's really caring, and the crowd's not paying attention or any of that stuff. So from that perspective, it's probably the best situation is that you can get some some dudes out there to play. Thomas, Tom, boy, Thomas is not shy about jacking it up, that's for sure. <laughs> reminded me, uh, watching him play, reminded me that time when the Suns signed Jimmer and I don't know if it was no. his first game. Or yeah, what. and he came to Utah, and the shots started going up. <laughs> 0 for 6, 0 for 7, 0 for 8. Yeah, that was rough. And it sort of reminded me of watching him. I think he was 2 for 10. Uh, so have confidence in your shot. And I guess they must have told him, hey, Clarkson's out, so we need you to be Clarkson without dribbling for 22 seconds because uh, he fired it up. And Brantley obviously played well, which is good because you look at that. Jazz had three second-round picks. Uh, in the draft before last, and Lou Dort was available on each one of them, and they didn't take him. And nobody took him, for that matter. So if you're going to crack on the Jazz, you got to crack on everybody else, too. He just sat there, came out as a freshman, uh, never heard of him until Scotty was broadcasting a Utah State ASU game down in Vegas, and he texted me about this kid. And I mean, I'm not following high school kids out of Canada, hardly at all. I don't pay a lot of attention to Sun Devil basketball. They haven't been worthy of my attention. And he said, hey, you got to watch this kid. He does have the body. And as Matt Harpering was talking about, he has he improved the form on his shot. And so good for him. That's a nice story. But it was nice to see some other guys get some meaningful minutes. And Jordan Yang stepping in the starting role. Now it's not a playoff caliber team by any stretch. But when he's open and he's got an opportunity behind that line, that can be a huge addition for you. I think for a lot of people who, uh, you know, play junior jazz and play high school basketball, you know, the coach tells you, uh, you know, not to shoot. You're not the guy. They're trying to get shots for other guys. But Quinn Snyder's told these guys, and I think it's why we see some of these guys come in and just let it fly. He's like, we only have 24 seconds. If we have a good shot, and he actually was just hammering this point again this week in one of his availabilities, if we pass up a good shot, we're not like sometimes we get better ones, but we're not likely to. So you got to let it fly. And I think it was Mieoni passed up a corner three uh, at the end of the first quarter last night, and they still had 19 or 20 seconds on the shot clock, and they ended up getting a shot clock violation. And so there really is Quinn is is made it clear over and over. I'm not really judging on if it goes in. If it's open, you got to shoot it without hesitation in rhythm. Uh, yeah, I disagree. I know. <laughs> I know. But I think these guys hear it, and I think it's why we see what we see. And it does, when, when guys are cold, it does lead to, you know, slumps in the game and dry stretches in the game. And we've yeah. seen all kinds of guys pass up shots, and there was one uh, in the game they lost uh, recently, um, Monday, Bogey had a three he should have taken and passed it up. 
And well, he was going to pass it up, and he thought, "No, I really should take it." But even that delay, he missed. And he said afterwards, "Yeah, he says I should have just caught it and shot it. I, I wrecked my own Fine. rhythm." But aren't we to the point of Oni that uh, it's the same thing we felt when Favors jacked it up from three? It's not happening. I know I am. I know, and everybody wants to cheerlead, but that's the way I feel when he's there <laughs> and he's open. If I'm the defense, have at it, son. Fire <laughs> up as many as you want. And maybe he's just a young kid, so there's certainly opportunities for him to get better. Well, it's uh, it's been a little thin out there. There's no way around that. Two for 11, I think, the last three games. So Yeah. All right, so we also talked about the rest of the West. The Suns just keep getting it done. They were back-to-back. It was at home, and they were down early to the heat, but they won by 20. Uh, I think a lot of people were impressed with DeAndre Ayton, double-double, 19 points, 13 boards, but you think the growth of the Suns bench is an underreported story. Well, when I looked at their box score, the thing that jumped out at me is that they had four guys in double figures off the bench, Mm -hmm. and one uh, Carter had nine. So that's nice because, you know, outside of uh, Paul is a star for sure, but he's not necessarily a scoring star. Booker's a scoring star. Aiton, uh, he can score, but they, they don't run very much for him, so he's got to get it off boards and whatnot and dunks and that type of thing. So, you know, they've got if they can get some other guys that can score for you, that's got to help. I don't think they have – as much proven scoring power as the Jazz, but if they're getting guys, guy, they picked up a Tory Craig, with a nice addition for them, mm-hmm. and, and Cam Johnson as a, a shooter out of Carolina, so you expect him. He comes off the bench, uh, so yeah, I think that if you're looking for the Suns, now none of those guys have they have zero. Craig has some, but the rest of the guys they don't think have much playoff experience, so that's going to be the big question for them. But uh, who's who's to say that they couldn't surprise in a crazy year in which we have hard times predicting stuff? Yeah, I'm not going to rule them out. I mean, I certainly don't expect them to dominate, and I'm not sure that I expect them to advance beyond the first round because I think for them, if they if they get to the playoffs, that's a success, and obviously they're going to get there. But if they won a playoff series, which is something they haven't done for so long, you might be able to consider that a success. Now, maybe you can if you just lose in the second round, given the number of wins that they've had in the in the regular season. But still, I, I don't think that there's anybody on that team who was making the statement, hey, blank this, we're not losing in the first round anymore. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't think anybody said that last year or going into this season because nope. they haven't even been there. Donovan Mitchell said it, though. Right. Two back-to-back first-round losses, and uh, you could you could hear the frustration when in that quote. Yes. Uh, the rest of the teams in the West that uh, the matter that are jockeying for playoff position, the Lakers won. They beat the Hornets 101-93. The Blazers lost to the Celtics 116-115. So if you're wondering if the Lakers are going to drop to the sixth spot, well, they are now two and a half games in front of the Blazers, and they finish a seven-game road trip 4-3. and three. And I know you weren't impressed with the win over the Hornets because the Hornets are missing, you know, their well, – Ball and uh, Hayward. Yeah, Ball and Hayward. They're two best players. But – the Lakers' ability to stay afloat on this road trip and not let it turn into some kind of one and six disaster—you got to give okay. them some credit for that. Credit. Sure, yeah, yeah. Four. yeah. I don't have any problem doing that. They're the team to beat. I don't have any problem saying that. The dudes are healthy. They're the team to beat. Everybody agrees with that. It's not shocking news. So yeah, I understand all that. 
Timmy Allen is transferring from Utah to Texas, and he's going to play for the Longhorns and new head coach Chris Beard. And for the Utah team that had problems scoring last year, where the point's going to come from, we're going to have to watch with over 1,000 guys in the transfer portal. Um, Craig well, Smith, can't take all of them. Craig Smith said over 1,200. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I think Scotty said the other day it was getting close to 1,300. I mean, guys are still going in and out. So... Uh, what's the roster going to look like? It seems like it's impossible to know. This college basketball is just going to be a year-by-year deal, isn't it? You know, building something and, oh, oh wow, that, that seems like so five years ago. Uh, not for everybody, but I do think for everybody to an extent. Well, even if it's not for your complete, team, the complete, rest of your conference, though, you know, your competition. Complete roster build might be for some teams. Because now, I remember when Majerus was there, and you'd have three guys leave, and I was like, oh, my gosh, every year, That's three average. guys. Well, now you got three guys. It's like, wow, we had a good offseason. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, especially if it's the guys who aren't playing. you know. And yeah, but that's not first. just – that's – okay, for some some teams here, mm-hmm. they're like Allen. I mean, and I, and I understand his circumstances. He wants to get to the postseason, and it doesn't look like you're going to get there next year at Utah as good as Craig Smith did a job at Utah State, and he's certainly qualified to be the coach of Utah. I have no doubt about that. But if I'm a senior, uh, go ahead and do it if I want to get into the tournament. I mean, the Gonzaga's had a couple of guys like that. They had a kid for, I think it was their leading scorer for SC a few years back. Well, SC, when Enfield was building it, wasn't in the position to go to the tournament, so he took off, went to Gonzaga. Sure enough, they go. So, I mean, every kid wants to do that. Even if you're just there for one season, you still want to do it rather than not do it. But I think as far as rosters now, we really have to wait to July and August before we make any level of any evaluation on any of these teams because things happen. They've been happening daily now, but still they can continue to happen for the next several weeks. And even if you think you know what your team is going to look like, you don't know what the other elite teams in your conference are going to look like. There's just going to be too much change. So, well, you th- well, so what you're saying is, why well, I see what you're doing. You're setting the expectations low in case Santa Barbara doesn't repeat. I see what you're doing. I fear you, Sierra Vine. Don't kid yourself. Thought the that, Anteaters? Yeah, I thought that coach was going to get a job, but he seems to just stay there. <laughs> you're killing me, dude. Get a job. Get out of here. Why wouldn't you? Because you're going to make more money. I mean, if, if you don't, if not, I mean, Irvine, he's got it going and it's a good place to live and whatever. That's and what I don't saying. know what, what he's got ties to the area and maybe that makes him more attractive. What is more money? Double or triple. <laughs> I mean, the, oh. big, the Big West isn't paying the way some of these other leagues are paying. But and if he's, you're making good enough money, it's like oh, Joe Ingles. Yeah. Joe Ingles didn't put himself, now we're talking about outrageous money, but he didn't put himself out there because he had enough. Now, that's an individual decision, and I can't criticize. When it comes to money, man, I, I just don't criticize anybody. Hey, if, he's, if you're at UC Irvine, and I don't know what they're paying, and I don't know what he can right. make off the court right. in addition to that, but if he's making three or four or $500,000, he's living in Southern California, he's like, oh, why do I want to go somewhere else and you know make more money in the short run, but then I get fired because it's a harder job. He's like, I can win here. I can win here in the long run, and that's what he's doing. He's coming up on a decade of it. Yeah, good. Wouldn't mind if he left, though. Be okay with me. All right, anything else we touched on this morning you want to hit on? We had a little NFL talk, a little draft talk. The NFL seems to be going out of both sides of the mouth a little bit here. Nobody's going to be required 
to be vaccinated as a condition of employment. But then they sent out a memo, which has now been leaked, that they expect the key members of the football operations staff to receive a COVID-19 vaccine unless they have a bona fide medical or religious reason not to. Well, which is it, guys? Publicly, it's one thing, and privately, it's another. What would be religious reasons? Uh, I don't know, but I think I've read stories about uh, some faiths, and they don't believe in blood transfusions and stuff like that, so I don't know. I'm not enough of a religious scholar to speak on this, but... Well, it's true, but you know your faith, and you know it very, very well. And I got vaccinated. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. Me either. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. When we come back, your feedback next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. My greatest prediction is this. The Jazz are going to disappoint us once again, just like they always do year after year. Baseball needs to change a lot of rules to make it more exciting, to modernize it. People want action and speed. It's like watching paint dry. Baseball needs to step up its game, and the athletes will come. (laughs) DJ PK, it is time for your feedback. Maybe a little bit of truth in that last one, PK, but it's way more complicated than that. If you don't like baseball, you don't understand the nuances of the sport. (laughs) Wait a minute. Where have I heard that before? I can't quite place it. I'm sure I have, though. (laughs) And you don't like it because it's so freaking hard to do. It's the hardest thing to do in sports. I've definitely heard that before, too. Uh, We got a lot of feedback coming in on the Jazz. Uh, They won last night. They beat Oklahoma City. How good a win was that? How concerned are you? Are you ready just to fast forward to the playoffs? Theron says, down three starters. I'd say it was pretty impressive. Well, they weren't down three starters. They were down one starter. They were down three of their top seven, but Clarkson and Ingles are coming off the bench. I get your point, though. There's a lot of talent sitting over there on the bench, and they, they did get the win. But, yeah, but they're so freaking good. You have two other guys who would start for any team in the league. Yep. Yeah, I think Oklahoma City would have taken Gobert and Donovan. That would have helped them a little bit. Well, I meant the three, two of the three that aren't starters on the Oh, page. I see what you're saying. Yeah, Clarkson and uh, Ingles would start uh, for a lot Clarkson, of teams. Clarkson, I'm pretty sure Ingles would start over Anthony Davis. Going out on a limb, huh? Taking him down. Not that Anthony Davis. But <laughs> another, okay. Another one out there. It's kind of a common name. Adam says he's concerned for sure. Well, they're not a slam dunk to win the NBA title, so if you've got concern, I would think you're not alone. Yeah, but I guess it's to what level? To go back to that... Uh, they're going to uh, the, disappoint uh, us again. Yeah. what? It, it's like you asked me on Friday morning, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, you think Justin Rose will hold the Masters lead. So essentially you were asking me, are you going to take Justin Rose or are you going to take the field? Uh, on the Friday of the Masters, you'll take the field. Thirty-six. Yeah, just about every crazy. time, yeah. right? Just, just, I mean, it's the odds are overwhelming that somebody else outside of Justin Rose is going to win, and and obviously it happened. So, are you going to take the Jazz or are you going to take the field? I'd say just about nine times out of ten, ninety-nine out of a hundred, I'm going to take the field. Now, the field, of course, in the NBA is a relatively small number, uh, but still. 
it's hard to win the NBA title unless you absolutely have the best player in the league, and Jazz don't have that. It's it's very difficult to do. But does that mean they're going to disappoint? Is we are are we at the status now of the Jazz? It's win it all or bust. I can't say that. I think a lot of people are putting a lot of stock into being the one seed, and to me that makes sure. you a contender. But yes. you just, and you and I have been beating this drum for a while now, you just can't look past the Lakers if they're healthy. They're too good. they got too much talent. Their record doesn't reflect it right now, but the top two players haven't been playing. So you got to set that aside. And keep an eye on Caruso, man. He's starting to come back. It's not hard to notice for obvious reasons when he's out on the floor. He's hitting shots. He's handling the ball a little bit. Is that just he has a bigger role? What's Caruso's first name? I don't even know. Alex, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah. It's Alex. Alex Caruso? You're so focused on the headband, you can't remember his name. (laughs) There you go. He's the. uh, He was balding, so he just shaved it down. The Caucasian version of Slick Watts. He just took it right down. Yeah. (laughs) All right, here's the other thing that has taken over uh, Twitter. Uh, Website, uh, travel website, uh, yougov.com, slash topic, slash travel. U.S. states ranked according to Americans. They did these a series of head-to-head matchups, and this will shock you, but the number one travel destination in the U.S. is Hawaii. What? Alabama, Mississippi 49, Alabama 50. Hawaii and Colorado 1-2. Surf and snow. There you go. Colorado? Yep. Utah came in 27, right in the middle of it. Skiing here is a thousand times better. You don't got to travel. You don't got to fly into uh, West Kansas and (laughs) drive to East Colorado or the other way around, East Kansas. No, West Kansas. Don't, 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 we got it, we got it, we got it. Don't worry about it. Come on. (laughs) Here you you get into town, boom, you have somebody pick you up or you get a -a rent-a-car. You're there. You could fly in that day and be on the slopes by 10 o'clock. Get out of town. That's ridiculous. I hate Colorado. Wyoming came in 22 and Utah came in 27. And Brian Schott, who used to be a sports talk radio producer and has gone on to multiple other jobs since then. Yeah. Yeah. He says, how in the hell is Utah behind Wyoming? And I tweeted at him in a break. Western Wyoming. That's what I said. They're thinking Jackson Hole. You're thinking Laramie. And then immediately someone from Laramie is in there. Laramie is nearly half the size of Logan, but it has three breweries, two independent bookstores, and a really nice walkable downtown. That could also be what they're thinking. On those four days that the weather's good enough now. I mean, it's just it's a tough place with the weather, obviously. The wind blows. Yeah, the people that I've that I met there from the University of Wyoming were just top of the line, and they treated you like uh, you were literally the most important guest they had in your community. For sure, I love the people of uh, Wyoming. Even some of the you know, some of the fans can get outrageous, but that was a small number. Uh, but the, the the community at the University of Wyoming, top of the line, I will say that. Uh, but yeah, when you get on the western part, you get into Jackson and obviously Yellowstone and the and Star Valley and the Snake River. Wow, that that is about as scenic as it can get, and, and not involving an ocean. Sundown over the Tetons is a good thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's a. My wife's friend has a condo, a timeshare up there, and she has invited us for many times over the years, as you know. 
Well, uh, last, uh, I think it was uh, November, I went down to St. George for a weekend, and my wife had a broken leg, so she couldn't play golf. But So I went out by myself, and we played this one course, and it's very expensive, uh, and a Jackson Racket Club and golf or something. But anyway, I got paired up with the pro there. So really? I'm hoping, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He wanted, he just wanted to get away and play some golf, right? So he came down and we were playing Sand Hollow. And uh, so, man, I was sucking up to that guy big time. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you had a joke, ah, <laughs> you're so funny. <laughs> Can yeah. I have some free golf? <laughs> I intend to, or at least give me the uh, twilight rate. Uh, yeah, oh, discount's today. good. Discounted golf's good. Yeah, because after Father's Day, man, it just goes up. Because you, you talk about the Tetons. It has the Tetons in view right there. It's really spectacular. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm going to try to uh, do my best to sweet-talk him, and hopefully he remembered me, and then maybe we can get some, some reduction in rates or something. And freeze even better than reduction in rates. All right, DJ and PK, we are about out of time here. You can uh, check that out. I will retweet that, and you can, uh, you can take a look at that if you want and see where your favorite states rank and – where where you want to go. Where's Jersey? Uh, let me uh, see. Where is Jersey in this? That is a good question. How does the Jersey Shore rank? Uh, 48. Oh. oh, man. Behind Arkansas. Come on now. Arkansas. Arkansas, 47. Jersey, 48. Mississippi, 49. Alabama, 50. See, the thing is, if you've gone to Jersey and you haven't got to the Jersey Shore... Then you just totally discount it. And you should. Jersey's a lovely, lovely place. You get away from Jersey City and you get out a little bit. And it's very nice in the suburbs. And you're only a half hour away from New York City. I was surprised to find out that central Jersey, which I have never been to, but the central part of the state is like wooded and outdoorsy. And when the Jets were recruiting Brett Favre, that's when I read about it. And they they took him hunting down there. Oh, yeah. And I thought Jersey was just a really urban state. No, you know, with New York no. spilling into part of it and Philly. Well, I, I get that, and I don't know. I've never been there, so I was just guessing, but that's what I had in my mind. That's what people think, but they don't know. You get out a little bit, like where I grew up, uh, 30 minutes away from, 30 miles away from Manhattan, and it was, it was considered a vacation community for people who had money from New York City. They bought vacation homes mm. in the town in which I lived. Hawaii, Colorado, Virginia, Nevada, North Carolina, the top five. Florida came in six with all the theme parks and all the beaches. Huh, six. A little surprising. All right, DJ and PK, we're out of time. Hanson Scotty are coming up next. We'll see you.